Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. And today we have a, uh, a very, very talented YouTuber by the name of Abba here. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Uh, it's my first time in a studio like this, so I'm just uh, adjusting real quick. Really? Yeah. I don't want to talk about this topic first, but I do want to clarify that we had plans to do this podcast <laughs> prior to any sort of, uh, you know, tension or, or controversy that's currently going on yeah just so happened like when i because i booked my tickets and i'd hit you up what like early august yeah it was at least a few weeks ago that you hit us up and uh at, at that time there was no controversy that i knew of so mm. i just want to make that clear that this isn't like oh adam saw that these guys had a controversy going on he's like get on the next flight i need you out here in 48 hours yeah i mean the worst part is i don't even really like getting into it. it's not that deep to me but I know the way the media is and everyone's on top of it. It's like people want to talk about it, so it is what it is. But, yeah, don't stress it. And if it gets you more clicks, who's going to complain? Ooh, clicks. That's a good point. Um, yeah, but let's, let, let's talk about um, everything else before all that. So where are you from exactly? And uh, tell me a little bit about your uh, earlier life. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was actually born in Canada. Then I was uh, raised my young years in Ethiopia. So I um, grew up there until I was like teenager about your, 50. your parents moved because of what because of work or no nah, no nah. so i lived with my mom when i was living in uh was when i was living in canada and then due to financial reasons she had to send me back which is kind of a backwards thing but i ended oh. up living with my dad in ethiopia for a long time and then moved back uh, in my late teen years when i was uh, around 15 16 moved back to canada so that's kind of the trajectory i took in life how did uh how did that sort of feel like were you a young kid in ethiopia like what the fuck i want to be in canada or was it did you appreciate it <sighs> It's, uh, it's kind of tough because especially in your young formative years, your surroundings is what you get used to. So you don't like to be moved out of that into a completely different environment. Oh, yeah. And uh, have you ever been to a third world country before? Mm, ish. Ish. Uh, if you've been to like certain neighborhoods, you might kind of get that same feeling. But like there's a there's a there's a normalcy with chaos that you get. And mm. there's like a certain set of rules that you're used to living by. So coming back to Canada was like really weird for me. Does like, Cuba count as a third world country? Have you had their food? The food, well, I've had good Cuban food, but not really in Cuba so much. A lot of the food I had in Cuba was pretty trash, to be honest with you. Hey, I'd say like borders on second world, but okay. um, it can. It's just, it's just a different, it's just a different way of living. So for me, it was like a couple of years I needed to adjust. It was really weird. Right, because yeah. you were still super young, and but the whole time that you were growing up in Ethiopia, were you kind of like when you when you learned that it was time for you to go back to Canada, was that a, a happy thing or an upsetting thing? Uh, it was confusing. 
it was confusing because it's like, all right, I already made the move once. I got to do it again and kind of restart. Right. Um, but, you know, once once you're told what to do, you just do it. You, you don't really have a say, you're at least in my family. You're so young that it was just kind of you're along for whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So I made that transition back to Canada. And then, um, yeah, just had to, like, get used to how people talk to each other, seeing, like, people of different races, you know, like seeing Asian people for the first time and all that shit. So right. it's like, okay, this is a different vibe. What were the biggest cultural differences when you got back to Canada that were a little hard to, to get past? Um, I think it was, like, a respect factor. Like, it's just a way you communicate with people that you have to maintain in a place where people, there's not, like, as much law as there is here. Mm. So it was just strange for me, like people acting up and I'm like, why, why are you doing all this extra stuff? Like this would never fly. And then I was like, this is, m-. so I ended up getting to a lot of fights as a result and a lot of conflicts. Cause I just couldn't understand how people talk to each other that way. Right. I think of Canada as being an extremely polite place compared to here. Yeah. It's got its ghetto. So, and mm. if you live amongst the immigrants and if you live amongst like multicultural areas, you'll get a mixer of everything. You know? Right. Any place where there's all like poverty generally, uh, and if you live in that poor area, the rules are a bit different. The way people act around each other is a bit different. Right. Yeah. So in Ethiopia, it was just like if somebody was fucking around, it would be a much higher chance that somebody would what, beat the dog shit out of them? It's just not well seen. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you go to Japan, you don't see like people traditionally hitting each other in the streets unless they're degenerates or like Yakuza. Right. So uh, in civil society, you don't do that generally. Mm. And so it was, just, it was just a different set of rules. And for me, it was like a really weird time. And also being fresh off the boat. You know, fashion sense off point mm. uh, and uh, being super thin. You know, you're being six feet tall, 150 pounds. Uh, people won't look at you funny. Why were you so skinny? Was it just the I economic mean, conditions out there? Or? Hey, it's. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. I'm not, <laughs> not going to come at you for that Ethiopian joke. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, why were you so skinny? Why was the Ethiopian guy so skinny? It just <laughs> I mean, sounds just like wondering. the start of a World Vision joke. But, um, bro, this is kind of normal. You know, it's a. Um, it's like people come to America and they're like, why are you guys so fat? Yeah. You know, it's just like the way you eat. Generally, most places across the world, people don't eat like they do here. Right. Obesity is not norm. Even being like full framed is not normal. Yeah. yeah it's only here that you, you, people traditionally have some weight on them. So, right. Uh, and I, I love when people come to America and they look at like what a serving is for us. And they're just like, that is the entire story of why your country is so fat. Like yeah. they look at like the Chinese food plate from Pan Express and they're like $7 for that. Yeah. That's it. That's why you're fat. Yeah. It's, it's part of that. It's also like how you guys eat food. Like in a lot of other places, food is done at set times with other people mm. out here. You're scoffing it in between meetings. You're going to see a friend. You're just on the highway eating or like, even if people do cook at home, they don't generally cook for others. They just make some real fist and then they sit in front of a computer and just watch YouTube while they eat. Right. So Food is no longer like a social experience for a lot of people. Mm. It's just a thing where it's like, oh, I got to get some in. And when you eat like that, it, it, it kind of fucks with your brain and fucks your relationship with food. You know, if you never go to the grocery store, you just used to Uber Eats all the time. Like, go to Europe. Uber Eats is not nearly as prevalent as mm. it is here. So it's just a relationship with food also that's different. Yeah, like when, I, when I'm in Europe and I'm seeing like what is considered normal to eat for breakfast. And it's like, oh, people will eat like a small croissant for breakfast. And I'm like... You realize in America, it's like three eggs, a bunch of meat, a big pile yeah. of potatoes, some vegetables. It's like, you know, we, we get everything in there for breakfast. So yeah. it's like that that completely changes how many calories you're taking in for the day. Yeah. How long were you in Europe for? Ah, just over the years. I've been to a shitload of different parts. Yeah, it's a, it, they live completely different than here. Mm. What country do you go to? 
Germany, France, uh, all over the UK. Uh, the way they dress. Do you notice that they got a siesta? They, they take a two-hour break in the middle of the day to go nap. I was in Barcelona, and I shit my pants in the middle of a siesta, and I couldn't go buy underwear because everywhere was closed, and that was pretty well, depressing. You, <laughs> what'd you take? I think I actually borrowed my friend's underwear back at the at the house, but he was like a size medium, and I'm easily a double a, or easily an XL, I guess. No, I meant what'd you take to shit your pants? Oh, I just had been drinking a lot the the day prior. Okay. And then I went to fart in a convenience store and shit my pants, and then had to sort of face that reality. <laughs> I'm just looking around the room to make sure like stories like these are normal. Like you're just yeah. so open about shitting your pants. No, yeah, that was totally fine. Yeah, I was just you know shit my pants. It was like ten years ago. So. Okay. All right, yeah, well, there you go. Even the, it's funny how we went from, like, European culture to, like, an American shit in his pants. In Europe. The transition is perfect. And, and, and running outside, <laughs> looking at all the stores. All the stores are closed, and it's siesta. And I'm like, gah, siesta. Yeah. But even compare that to, like, the grind culture in North America. When I moved here, everyone's like, yo, get your money, get your money up, get your money. Mm. Over there, they're like, I'm taking a two-hour break because we need a nap. And it's, like, society-wide. So it's a bit of a slower pace. Mm. Not everything is just boom, boom, boom. That's why you don't see as many fast food restaurants there and things like that. And, and do you feel like your level, like your level of internalized stress mm. is lower when you're in this sort of, like, slow-paced environment? Because when I go on vacation... I went to Tulum for a week right before the pandemic hit. Oh, my God. By the time I got back, I felt like a completely different person because I realized that I carry around this, like, work your ass off energy all the time. And yeah. it's only when you take a real good solid break from that that you're able to sort of release it, you know? You know, ambition's good. And um, I'm never mad at it. But I think a good ba life balance is always better. And I think you having a kid, you probably understand this a lot. Bingo. It just, kid. you look at it and you're like, oh, this matters. Like, this is never going to make me successful in life or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But just seeing this thing, it, it's profoundly life-changing. Yeah. Um, I started organizing dinners for, for, for men at my place on Sundays where we'd all sit down and just have dinner together and talk about stuff. And it sounds like corny to be like, guys, I'm making food for everyone. Cho roll over. But it, it's a really profound experience for me because it's a break from work. But it's also like I'm spending time with people mm. in, a, in a way that matters that's outside of work. And it's not about like... Where, how'd you hustle and how hard you do? It's like, yeah, what's going on with you? Let's just chit chat. Mm. And uh, just being able to take the time to slow my life down gives me a good balance that I'm not just constantly thinking about where my subscriber numbers at or mm. all that other bullshit that doesn't really, it doesn't have an impact on life. Yeah, like the internet has kind of fucked up society, and then COVID really fucked up society. Where like, you know, even if you weren't like a primarily online person, all of a sudden, boom! Like with the the social distancing and everything, you're much more online. Like, you know, I love playing poker, and I go to the casino and I'll play for like six, seven hours with a bunch of people, and they take your phones away because we're on live stream. And the level of like great conversation that I've been having with people sitting there with no phone for six hours, you know, I'm like, I'm really talking to the guy across from me, like really learning shit about him. And that is kind of a lost art these days. Poker shouldn't be something that you're thinking about. I'm about to win this hand. Everybody who's at home, watch this. It's mm. also about like the, the little jib jabs that you guys have in between. I envy old people a lot because of how they live a life a lot slower. When you see an old man at a park just sitting there, some people are like, what the fuck's this loser doing? But mm. I honestly took time to just sit on a park bench one day and just feel what that was like, just being still. And I was like, it is relaxing oh, yeah. to not think about what's the new video I'm going to make and all the other, none of that other stuff. And so um, I picked up Domino's when I was, uh, when I was in Haiti and uh, sitting around three other guys and y'all just talking shit while you slamming Domino's on the table and people are screaming. It's like, you're present. Yeah. For this next hour, you guys are talking shit. You, you guys are getting each other's heads, but you're just present. There's no, nobody else that really matters. And you need those kind of activities to ground you because constantly being on this shit, mm -hmm. constantly being online, it doesn't matter 
it's it's not as profound as like just those kind of conversations. That shit sticks in your head. If your brain is not ever allowed to wander for a couple hours, yeah. then it, because your phone is constantly bringing you back to like checking up on how you're doing, how your analytics are doing. I can think of. 20 different analytics for how my business is doing that I could check on my phone right now just because I haven't had it in my hand for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That, that, depressing. That, that, then that, those numbers fuck with, with creators' minds. Yep. They start to live by those. Like, we had three months where we had maybe a growth of 8,000 subscribers compared to, like, hundreds of thousands. And people are like, are you guys okay? And I'm like, you know, it comes mm -hmm. in waves. It comes and goes. I'm not going to live my mood based off of things that are outside of my control. If mm -hmm. I'm going to be good with my life. Right. If I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel decent about myself, it can't be based on external things. It can't be based on numbers. It can't be based on how everybody else feels about me. It's got to be something that I can control over myself to at least have a good baseline when I go out in the world. Because if it's based on everything else, then you have no control. Mm. Right. Every time somebody says something, you feel some type of way, you're essentially giving that kind of control over your well-being to everyone else. So that's why I always take myself back. And I'm just like, it's cool. That's why I tell people, like, if YouTube disappears tomorrow, like, it is what it is. Mm. Is it going to hurt that I build something? Yes. But I also know I'm not. That is, doesn't define me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not defined by any of this. Like, you can look at the biggest YouTubers in the world, whether it was, you know, Jake Paul at the height of his popularity or PewDiePie at the height of his shit. And if you go back and look at their social blade, you see these gigantic spikes. But then what happens? It goes back down to, you know, 15, 20% of what that spike was. And these are the most successful YouTubers. So it's like, when you see that kind of thing, it makes you realize that you should be excited when you're having a spike. You should be excited when your subscribers are growing, but you just can't make that everything because the spike is not sustainable. It's not, and you just can't. You can fight and do everything you can to make your videos get as many views as you want, yeah. but you can't judge yourself against the best moment you ever had because by definition, you're only supposed to have that every so often. Yeah, I, I don't even get too happy when things are going super well, mm. right? It's like... Um, I watched that when I was like 24. I remember watching like a Kobe Bryant video and he was talking about how he kind of keeps his mental toughness going. And uh, he talks about never getting too high or never too low and just finding a good middle mm -hmm. ground to be able to kind of stabilize yourself at all the times. Because if you're constantly trying to ride that wave all the time, eventually you're going to crash. Mm -hmm. So I think just finding a good middle ground and being like, yo, this is cool. I appreciate this. And then when it gets bad, you're like, it is what it is. I'm not going to get too caught up in it. And you just keep pressing forward. It's how you manage those peaks and valleys that mm -hmm. are going to determine your career. Right. If you're just constantly riding that high, I promise you when it goes down, your mental health will not be OK. And it's going to fuck with you. Mm -hmm. That's why I have a lot of people have like sophomore slumps. Yeah. Right. They put out their first album. They're on that high. They're crazy. People have never heard of them. Everything's going well. And then now that they're on the scene and then after that, they got to follow up with that. And it doesn't go as well. But then what ends up happening is that they crash and burn because they no longer have that confidence. They were living on pier yeah. rather than just understanding, hey, it's going to be like this. You can't always hit 100 percent on every project. So yeah. just humble. It's a. It's, uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a peacefulness that you need to find in the middle. But what I can say is that I'm glad that it took me until, you know, at least my like early mid-30s to get there. Because when I see an 18-year-old kid who's, you know, handsome and all of a sudden his TikTok's got 4 million followers and every girl wants to fuck him and everybody's treating him like a god... I know that they're not going to be able to, you know, keep that cool head and realize that this will come and this will go and just stay humble. People are going to like you for staying who you are. That can be really, really hard to understand if you haven't been there before. It's why I sympathize with people like Michael Jackson or Justin Bieber. Mm. People look at them like, what this fucking dweeby 18-year-old? Do you know what it's like when you walk into a room as a 13-year-old kid and women faint? Yeah. You understand how like Michael's experience as a child was absolutely insane, mm. right? He had an abusive father. He had a crazy family that was 
everyone who was older with him was extremely jealous of his success in life. Mm. He would walk into a room, people would just faint. He never had a childhood. Like, what does that do to your development? Imagine you? staying humble through that. Yeah, people look at Michael's adult, like, I don't understand him. How could you understand him? You, he never had a childhood. He never had, a, he would walk into rooms and people would collapse or try to swarm him. You'd have like 30 year olds trying to look at Michael as a 10 year old, like, I want to suck his dick. Like, right. It was a crazy life that he was living. Justin Bieber's no different. Mm. You know, at 16, you got rappers, the greatest people in the world, offering you kinds of crazy drugs. Yeah. It's like, how do you grow up as a normal socialized person? So what you said about being 30 and getting there, like same for me, man, I got there around 26. My partner preached, he got there around um, 36. And like, he's glad he got at that point. Cause I know for me, the kind of degenerate I was in my young twenties, if I had all that access to ladies, if I had all that access to money, there's no way I would have come out. Of, I would have a couple kids, probably AIDS mm -hmm. and who knows what <laughs> else. So yeah, I'm glad, just like you said, I got it at a good point in my life when I was comfortable with who I was. Yeah, just having this conversation makes me feel like I need to like mentor more of those people that I see in that position. But then also at the same time, <laughs> that just sounds like very, very, very difficult to like actually get through to somebody and, and, and make them understand the extent to which staying steady and staying normal and like you know keep keep your relationships with your family keep don't be in a rush to break up with the girl that you were with before you started blowing up you know like uh, i mean it's, it's, it's these these things all feel easy for me to say and they all feel like almost impossible for me to imagine that young dude taking that advice yeah you know but you're already doing it in a way maybe you're not doing one-on-one -on -one mentorship but right. you're just putting on a video and putting on the line has that effect for somebody mm. you won't be able to see it firsthand so you don't think it's happening but the same way kobe bryant did that video and it had an effect on me the same way patrice o'neill was doing videos and they kind of shaped my psyche they're never going to be aware of what they did for me. Mm. But it doesn't change the fact that in a way they were mentor figures for me because they taught me the life lessons I needed to be able to navigate life correctly. Right. So you have that effect whether you like it or not. It's just like, just by talking about these issues and saying, this is what you should watch out for because this is how it happened to me. Someone's going to internalize that, I right. promise you. Because they're going to start to see the first signs of what you described. Mm. All of a sudden, I started talking to my family list or all this. And they're like, yo, Adam, talk. Let me go watch that video again. Mm. So that's the beauty of what we do online. We're going to affect people in ways we're never going to get to know. And uh, sometimes you get someone who messages you, mm. right? I'm sure you've had that happen where they're like, you've changed my life in some way or so. Yeah. And uh, you're like, shit, I guess it, it is doing things for people. So that's a humbling feeling. Definitely. Um, so all through high school, uh, what did you do when you graduated high school? Like, what was the, the plan? I never graduated high school. I ended, oh, okay. up, I ended up dropping out, and I joined the military oh, uh, okay. at 17. Uh, okay, I noticed that you have a bunch of military-themed videos. That makes sense. Okay. It's just like um, you, you might understand this. When you're, like, around that age of 17 as a young adult, like um, – you're, you're just lost. Yeah. You don't know what the fuck you want to do. And for me, those two years after that were so formative because I'm like, I'm having grown ass men yelling at me, trying to shape me as a person. I'm dealing with difficult things every single day. A way of life that three meals a day, like that was foreign to me. I've started eating foods I've never seen, like oatmeal. I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, like it's so basic, like oatmeal. Like you, I never seen a bunch of this stuff. You know, people throwing pierogies at me. I got a. I got five minutes to eat food. We can run a six minute, we got to run like five miles every morning at 6 a.m. Got to keep everything. So it was just, it was just craziness every day. And um, it kind of shaped a lot of the way I view things in regards to how I organize stuff, the way I approach things. Uh, for example, being early. Mm. I, I can't be late to things. For mm. me, it's like, because you, in the military, they have a saying, if you're not early, you're late. Right. And uh, they drill that into us. 
right? So as a result, I take every appointment very seriously when I say I'm going to be there on time. I try to make there early, oh, yeah. even at my own detriment, even if it costs me extra money. So um, I think that's why it shows up in my videos a lot. And I, it's just when you go through big things at that age, right? It shapes it shapes you for the rest of your life. I realized that uh, I had an interview a couple months ago, and I realized that I was like almost ten minutes late. And I'm, I'm never late for my interviews. And I realize like, you're almost 10 minutes late. And then I realize you could be late for every interview and they're just going to sit on the couch and they're just going to like wait for you. Yeah. And it's like, no, nobody's going to say shit to you if you're late. But you know, it's like once you start to allow yourself down that slippery slope of disrespecting the people that you're working with and stuff, I completely agree. You know, I try to, even at this point, you know, leave in such a way that maybe I can be there five minutes early if possible. Always call ahead if you're going to be late. You know, that's like, that's super, super important shit to learn. I don't even think about it about like um, the repercussions. I think about it as I'm trying to form a business relationship with anybody. Yeah. I want to be respectful of their time. The same mm -hmm. I want people to be respectful. You, you've had people make you wait for 40, 45 minutes. Absolutely crazy. Hours, days. Right. And it's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is like, bro, do, 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 you not, do you not care about my time? And then we're supposed to sit across from each other and have a cordial conversation, but you've right. already slapped me in my face. And people are not aware of how disrespectful it is because they're so caught up in their own shit. Mm. At least have the courtesy to call. At least yeah. have the courtesy to be like explain things. But when you don't do that, to me, it's like such an affront already off the top. So I try to take everyone else. Like even when I run comedy shows, I don't, I don't start a show at 34. I, I start it on time and I make sure everyone I yell at people to start it on time because these people paid money to come watch us. I find it crazy with stories like Lauren Hill, where she just shows up two hours late to shows. I'm like, are you bugging? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, these people paid good money. They can't wait to see you. And you're like, ah, my artistic. That's bullshit. You're a professional as well. Mm. There's a certain amount of, like, professionals that you have to approach these things with because these people paid money, right? Like, these people who don't have nearly as much access to cash as you do paid a lot of money out of their own pockets to come watch you at a festival for 300 whatever it is. So You're making me think about all these fucking Olympians who are just bailing out at the last minute because of their mental health. See, now that becomes, <laughs> that becomes a very interesting thing because, yeah. again, I can understand if you can't do something for very valid reasons, mm. but I think if you're going to do that, you have to have some, some measure of respect in regards to how you handle it. Lauren right. Hill just wouldn't explain why. Yeah. She's like, ah, I'm artistic expression. That's crazy to me. Yeah. You know, so, but that's the that's that's thing about being on time for me. That if, if you're Lauren Hill and you want to do something on your own time and you want to be so concerned with where your mood is at, your emotions, or where you're at artistically maybe don't accept the couple hundred thousand dollars to show up and perform in front of all these fucking people. And those are your fans. It's like, I can understand if it's a photo shoot and you show up late and you're disrespecting the, the photographer and his assistants and stuff. All right, maybe you feel okay about that. But if you're disrespecting thousands and thousands of your fans, I mean, come on. I mean, she already slapped him in the face when she stole all that music. So it is what it is. What music did she steal again? Oh, you didn't know that like most of her music, like from the from miseducation of Lauren Hill, a lot of it's stolen? Stolen? Yeah, you didn't know this? No. Okay, well, there you go. You can have your hot take of the what, day. She took it from other artists? or? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she didn't pay people. Well, I'm learning rap facts from this guy right now. Okay, oh, you guys didn't know this? Okay, that's no, great. I'm going to have yep. to Google this after we're done. It's a deep story because for me, Lauren Hill was like the number one you know, uh, female artist that I had in my head for a long time. And then to find out the album that I thought made her, a lot of it was stolen, was so disappointing for me. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Damn, I, I got to get educated. Um, okay, so doing the military thing, but, like, are you thinking the whole time, like, this is not for me? Like, this is just not my personality? So 
I could have done it, but yes, it wasn't for me. And I think um, there's a balance between those two things. You can do a job that's not for you, and I think we all do that in life. Mm. Uh, for me, there was just certain issues in regards to like you, you don't you don't have any free time in the military. Technically, mm. you're always on duty. That's why even if you're on the job and you're in civvy clothes, if you act crazy, they can still reprimand you. Right. right? If you're not on the job, it's a bit different. So uh, they can court martial you. They can send you to prison. So you have to always be mindful of how that's going to affect you when you're out there in the world. And um, I don't want to get into the details, but I had an incident that happened to me that was like pretty, pretty big deal in my life. And um, unfortunately, when you get posted to the wrong spot and you're under the wrong sergeant, they can just destroy your life or they can fuck with you as much as they want because, you know, chain of command. So right. uh, I unfortunately had somebody above me who made it their mission to to make sure that I was going to be miserable. And I was like, I don't want to be beholden to somebody who, who wants to bring me in every day to fuck me up. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That I have to take orders from. So. Uh, I decided at that point that I didn't want to keep living that way. So I was like, I'll, I'll pass. Right. Yeah. So you leave. How long were you in there? Uh, two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you leave and then where, where do you go from there? Uh, after that, I ended up uh, moving to LA for a few years. I was doing dance professionally. Um, so I was doing that for a few years. That was always part of your life too? Dance? No. Dance I picked up when I was in my early 20s. I, um, in my formative years, man, I just tried a bunch of shit. I wanted to see what I liked doing in life because I was confused. I didn't know where I wanted to go. Mm. And uh, dance ended up sticking as like more of a hobby later on line, later on life. But uh, yeah, I like going out to dance. I like uh, I just like dance in general. I'm part of the culture. I'm, I'm about that life. So yeah. That's what's up. I've never known too many dancers. I'm be honest. But like now that TikTok dancing is so big, I'll have rappers tell me like, man, I can dance. Like I've just been not dancing all these years. Like yeah, there's layers to it. I mean, you got the stuff that happens on social media, and that's that's one layer. But then you also have, LA has a rich street dance scene. Yeah, you know, you got the stuff in the studios where people get hired to go, you know, dance behind Justin Bieber. But you also have like an underground scene here that is super rich and it's got some of the most famous dancers in the world living right here. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's its own subculture and it exists. It's kind of like graffiti culture mm. or skating culture. Like a lot of people may not know, but if you're part of it, you know it's big. Yeah, I, I remember I went on a date with a girl one time and uh, we ended up going to some bar that apparently it was like a little party for a bunch of people from her dance school. And let me tell you, it's something really intimidating about being around that many people who are in really good shape and really have like masterful control of their movements. Yeah. Being that I don't have any of that and I couldn't really imagine dancing if my life depended on it. Uh, don't be too envious because uh, they're all poor. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's like that, huh? Oh, yeah. If you want to talk about the, the, the worst profession to get in, if you want to get money, dance is the worst. First off, there's no health insurance. Right. You fuck up your leg, you're done working. Mm. Secondly, when you do are working, you're not getting paid that well, so you better save up, bitch, and if you don't, you're going to be homeless very soon. So it's like one of those professions that it's um the problem with dance is uh it's ephemeral. Like you you have to see it and you catch it and then it's gone, yeah. right? It's not something you can just reuse all the time. You can't like film a great dance video. You make a YouTube video, it's it's there for 20 years. Right. You know? yeah. And people can watch it later on in life and they're going to enjoy it. Whereas with a dance, it's like if you're not there in person or if you're not doing it, you don't get the same response as if you're hearing a comedy bit or whatever. So it's just it's hard to monetize mm -hmm. dance really well. Like if you're a, a, you're su a dancer and you're super successful, it's like you and 10 other people are behind Cardi B and nobody ever knows your name. Exactly. <laughs> If you want to, if you want to know whether or not an art form is like profitable, just look at the top paid people and compare them to the other disciplines, and you'll know very fast. Mm. You know, you think about the best dancer in the world, and you've probably never heard of them, oh, right? Yeah. And you and their salary is not that great, but compared to the top singers or the top uh, music producers or the top painters, you know. So it's just it's one of those things that I feel so bad because I think it's such a dope form of art. 
but unfortunately in terms of like making bread people sometimes invest their whole lives and then come out and have to like become bus drivers afterwards and they're devastated and mm. i'm like how are you going to keep dancing in your late 40s and 50s for a living it's not something you can sustain you but know? knowing everything that you know about social media and youtube now would that have colored how you were viewing dancing because i'm sure that there's people who do dance stuff that are making good livings on social media and stuff right they're making like decent livings but it's like it's it, it, it's far few in between yeah you know what i'm saying like as a medium-sized artist you can a musician for example you can tour and make a really good living mm -hmm. right not too many dancers can do that at medium-sized level and then tour right the top end you can always find a few mm. but i don't look at the top end to find out if an art form is sustainable you gotta look at the people in the middle mm. and the people on the bottom and can they eat at all and also most dancers they make their money off other dancers it's kind of like a pyramid scheme in a way mm. right that's not a sustainable thing you think about musicians they got fans they got people the public who just fuck with they shit if the only people that you get money from are the people who come to your classes or your workshops or your battles and they're all dancers right then you're just making money from the community of artists so it's mm. kind of it's not a good way to make money that's so true. Yeah. You're really making me think about skateboard and BMX. It's like very similar problems with that, yeah. Because if the general public is not behind it, how are you going to get advertising dollars? Mm. How are you going to get people to pay tickets to come to your event? They don't really fuck with BMX like that or if they're not like interested in just watching it. The UFC wins not because MMA fighters are into it, but because the general public wants to see people bash their heads in. You need those casuals to make something really profitable long term. Very, very true. So, okay, you moved out here and tried to do the dancing thing for a while. You gave up at some point. Uh, it's not that I gave up. It's just like when you see what it's like behind the scenes, you're like, I don't want to do this for a living. This mm -hmm. is not, I want to, I love doing this and I still do it to this day, but I don't want to make money off of it. Sometimes you just have a passion for yourself. I'm sure you got shit that you don't make money off that you still do, right? Mm -hmm. So that was that mindset. So after that, I uh, ended up picking up stand up and that stuck. Once I did stand up, I was uh, I started making YouTube videos on my own. This is about 2015, 2016. So you were doing stand up in LA or did you move back home? I'd moved back home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I ended up moving to Montreal, Canada to uh, start doing stand up and then I never stopped after that point. Really? So you thought you had a, a real knack for it right away? I just got on stage and I bombed so hard my first time and I'm like, I fucking love this shit. Really? Yeah. I was trash. I remember going up, I had this like terrible bit about like, uh, Oh, it was one of the worst bits I ever wrote, and I still laugh about it sometimes. But I had this bit about, like, um, how my dad took me to a funeral, and it was, like, raining. And he said, you know, when it rains during a funeral, it's because Jesus is uh, washing away the sins of the dead. And so I wrote this joke about, like, oh, well, if, you know, if it's uh, the tears of the dead that are being washed away by rain, then when it's snowing, it's Jesus' gist. And then the crowd was just quiet, bro. Like, I remember just hearing, like, <laughs> you know when you hear quietness? Yeah. And uh, the one thing I remember during that set, was when I spoke, even when I had a pause, people were listening. Mm. And that's sometimes even more intoxicating than when people laugh. Right. It's like, when I speak, even if it's not funny right now, you're fully paying attention to what I'm saying. Because some comics can't even grab people's attention or be interesting enough to like get people to focus for long enough. Right. Same thing with you two. But I can speak to these people and they want to listen. If I just get the jokes in, then I got this. So I just kind of kept going from there. You ever been in a room full of people and like, Everybody's talking. It's kind of like a wild conversation. And you try to launch into a story. And you get maybe like the first sentence or two out. And then like everyone just stops paying attention to your story. And that sort of humiliating feeling of like, oh, fuck. Like I'm used to people paying attention to me. I'm apparently not like my at least the beginning of that story did not hold people's attention. Yeah. yeah. I saw it happen to a dude yesterday playing poker. I don't know if anybody else noticed it. I was paying attention. I saw the pain in his face mm. from realizing that nobody wanted to hear his story about going to the club. Mm. And you did the right thing, right? I didn't say nothing, but I was just like looking at him <laughs> in pain like, damn. 
Tell me how you recognize that shit and you still left my man, my man hanging. Because you didn't even be like, hey, man, w- w- you want to keep going with that story? You could have brought him back. You could have saved his self-esteem, but you just watched him burn. And as he's screaming for help, you're like. No, he had said a bunch of other annoying shit up to that point. So okay. I was kind of like happy to like see him like perishing. In that you, you got a petty bone. Can here. you make sure that my salads are in the fridge while we're on the topic? Sorry, I don't mean to put that on you or anything. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I could, I, I, I could see in that way how the feeling of having everybody hang on your words is, is got to, there's got to be something to that in, in comedy. Do you, feel, you, you don't do live shows? No, never done it. You should do a live podcast. You guys have done it? Uh, I, I do live shows. I don't do like, uh, I do live stand-up, so I do okay. that, but I haven't done like a live like filming of YouTube, but I see some people who do like live podcasts and it works well. Like your fan base will come out for sure. Yeah. And it's a great way to monetize what you already do. And um, if you do that, you'll see the energy like. Doing shit in front of crowds is a different ball game because mm. you have that one-on-one interact. Not one-on-one, but like it's direct. It's not through any editing. Yeah. It's not through anything. They can feel the energy of the people there, and it's a different ball game. You feed off of it sometimes when the when the rapport with the crowd is on point, and it just heightens everything. Yeah, you know what has me fucked up is that I remember back like three, four years ago we were gonna do a live podcast, and I remember looking at the money and thinking like, oh, like that's a great bag, and like. Somebody was hitting me up trying to get me to do a podcast the other day, and it was like the same type of economics, basically. And I was just like, nah, I don't really see myself leaving the house at night on a Thursday for that. You know, like, yeah. like to some extent, I, I, there is a great bag from touring, but at the same time, like, that level of like work and commitment and having to actually go do that shit every night to just entertain a small amount of people, I don't know, there's something about that. that Why do you really- say it's small? Because I've always done shit for YouTube. So I've always felt like I'm talking to hundreds of thousands of people. Well, since we got to that level or whatever. But, you know, like when I think about like when I see comedians, I go to a comedy club and I'm watching somebody like pour their heart out to 20 people. And I'm just thinking like, I could not do this. Like this just it it doesn't feel like it feels like he's talking to nobody Uh, to me. Hey, Listen, when you go to open mic, that's a different thing. But considering your fan base or your number, you could easily pull. Maybe a thousand people. And I'm going to tell you, yes, seeing 300,000 people on a YouTube clip, it sounds great when you were watching it back. But I'm telling you, being in front of a thousand people that are laughing mm. or enjoying it, you can't, you, can't, you, you can't replace that. And I'll also say this. You also build a different relationship with the fans when they get mm. to see you in person. Because they get to see, like, is he a real person? You know what I mean? Because they just consume you through a screen. It's why when people see you for the first time, they're like, oh, my God, you're Adam from, like, no jumper, right? Yeah. Versus when they see you in person, they all of a sudden view you a different way. So it's cool to have that rapport with the fans to some degree. But hey, like I said, live shows is not for everybody. But I do think if you've never experienced it, you should at least try it once just to get that energy of the crowd and to see if you feel like it's at any point intoxicating. Because for me, there's nothing like it. Yeah, no, I respect it for sure. I just kind of like missed that phase in my development. So I don't know if I fucking really feel like retreating back to it. But uh, hey, well, listen, if you guys are watching right now at home, uh, leave comments below if you want to see Adam go on tour. There you go. Take we're, no jumper. We're coming to home. Cincinnati. See you there. <laughs> home of the Bengals. So, okay, this starts going well. Was how, how deep into the stand-up thing did you get before you also decided you wanted to start a YouTube channel? I started whatever? it simultaneously. And oh. it's crazy because my first video went viral. I had like zero followers and it got to three million like so fast. I did this video about like how like short guys get discriminated against all the time. Oh, that's real. Yeah. And uh, and then I like did these live interviews with these girls and I was like asking them why they wouldn't date short guys and all this other stuff. And like, oh, you know, he doesn't, you know, if I wear heels or I just I want to hug him and feel like I'm in safe and yeah. security. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I was talking to them, asking, like, do you guys ask for men's height 
on uh, Tinder profiles. I'm like, yeah, I think it's important for men to post. All right. And I'm like, what if they post like a weight requirement? Like the men do, <laughs> and the women lost their minds, and it was just like this juxtaposition between the two points. So, yeah, that went viral, and then from there, I just kind of kept going with YouTube ever since. Uh, Preach ended up jumping on shortly afterwards, and uh, yeah. How did you know? He's also a street dancer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 lived a big a long life. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of events that. He could go into detail if he weren't so busy uh, running around in the streets right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people just you you see it on their face that they've kind of they've been through stuff or they've done things. Yeah, like when I started to see him sort of threatening to fight people, I was like, very much got that vibe. I'm like, oh wow, this is a guy. He does not seem scared at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm not going to tell the story today, but um, yeah, me and him, we've been to some countries where things have gone crazy, and um, you kind of see how people are. You see what people are really made of when chaos just breaks out and there's no rules anymore. You see how people act when when panic sets in. So uh, I've seen him in absolutely insane situations and he's seen me in those same contexts. So um, I know what kind of I, I know what kind of person he is. So that's why I was chuckling because that wasn't planned. Mm. When he said all that stuff about I'm coming because we don't rehearse our videos. We don't tell each other what we're going to say, which is why it gives off an authentic vibe because it's not rehearsed. So when he said that, I was chuckling in my head because I'm like, oh, they, they, they fucked up. Right. Yeah. So did anybody have to put you on to the, the value of YouTube or was it something you just sort of figured out yourself? I, um, I came on to YouTube in 2012 and I always liked the idea of being able to make stuff from my brain, put it, and then people just consume it. Because that, that, at that time it wasn't super popping, but it just looked cool. Mm. Um, and I didn't think about its value really strongly at the time but I, I knew it gave me something that i really enjoyed when i made my first first video um because you know it's something cool about creating something and people respect it and appreciate it because mm. at the beginning you don't do it for money there's no money involved at least if you're doing youtube like when i was doing it there wasn't that much money so when i first came on i just really wanted to connect with folks my I biggest to regret feel. is that i didn't go hard on youtube before you could make money why is that just because those were the years that I sort of missed because I didn't see it as a business. But I like I was making videos in like 2008 and shit, but it didn't occur to me like, oh, if I do this over and over and over, I can create an audience and then at some point I can monetize it. And so now I try to have that attitude with all social media where it's mm -hmm. like, OK, we're going to dump money and time into building up TikTok because it seems important and fuck whether it's going to make us money in the short term. Yeah. Uh, I think those are great business business strategies. I think with online content creation, it depends on the person you are. You know, if you're if you're like that uh, Gary Gary V type yeah. of dude, you're just monetizing everything. You know, me and preach. We don't have a TikTok. You know mm. what I mean? We're missing out on that bandwagon. Uh, you know, you get I mean, one editor to chop your shit up for TikTok. I guarantee you'll be happy as hell you did it. Yeah, you guys I, will probably be huge on there. I mean, some people are already posting our videos and and, and and monetizing, and they're getting millions and millions of views. And I know a lot of YouTubers are in the same boat where they got bootleg accounts of people who are making money off of their content, which is another reason to get in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hire the person with that bootleg account, buy that account off them, and then. Yeah, I think it's a great business mm -hmm. idea. I think I always, I always ask myself like, how much is too much? I, I, I don't, I don't. I'm not the type of dude who wants to be a mogul. I'm mm -hmm. not the type of dude who wants to be the, I don't have ambitions like that. Like I said, I like balance to my life, you know? So when I'm making content, I'm like, how much can I make before I'm like, it starts to be dull mm. and it starts to just be work. It no longer is fun for me. There's no balance to it. And uh, I think when I think about making stuff for Instagram and like making stuff for TikTok, I just start to think like, I don't want to do all this shit. Yeah. So, um, but again, it's also kind of stupid to put everything on one platform because if you get dicked off that platform, then you're fucked and your and your and your brand dies. So yeah. uh, it's not the best business strategy. I won't deny, but yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you see a celebrity and they'll post the same piece of content on, you know, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll see it do very well on all those platforms. And you just sort of realize, like, I mean, I feel comfortable on YouTube. I feel like everybody's on YouTube. But wow, there's a lot of motherfuckers on other platforms that are not looking at YouTube. Yeah, niches are really worth it. I mean, Facebook was giving a bunch of huge deals, multi-million dollar mm. deals to gamers and shit like that. So if you're smart about your business and you look elsewhere, there's opportunities. Mm. There's opportunities. And the people who jumped on TikTok early saw that. What, what, uh, when you started doing content with Preach, what was the idea? Was it Did it look exactly the same in your earliest videos or what was it like? Yeah, no, we used to have a couch. We used to have a couch and we used to sit and talk. And then one day we didn't have the couch and we had to stand and the energy was just better. You know, when you sit, you're, you're, you're kind of more stationary. When you're standing, you mm. can do a lot more moving. There's a lot more body involved. Your speech changes. So I, you notice like dudes who talk with their hands and they're like, hey man, you know, it is what, when they talk with their hands, they always loud. You know what, <laughs> they always got to, because your body ends up adding emphasis to the things you say. Mm. So Sitting is cool. It's not bad, especially if you want to have a chill discussion. But if you really want to get into it, you want to crack jokes. There's nothing better than being able to stand and move your body. Yeah, for sure. What were your earlier videos like? Or like, what, how, how has that changed over time? Because now you, you sort of fit into more of like a commentary uh, route, as people would say, where you guys are reacting to things that are going on in the media or, or the news cycle. Yeah, it was kind of always that. We always had topics that we would dissect it. And then there were jokes thrown in there that were kind of just off the cuff. Uh, we just got better at it. You know, we got sharper, our jokes were funnier, our timing was better. As we got better stand-ups, we also became better presenters online. It's just much more of a natural feel. Uh, we got better at the whole back-end stuff. So um, the earlier videos are the same but different in the sense that we don't have the same level of skill. So for people who are joining now, they can watch an old video and they're like, damn, five years ago I probably wouldn't have watched these guys. But mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, it's up there for you to watch. That's our, our progression from there. And even you, I'm sure your early interviews, you probably cringe at a few of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Filming it on an iPhone, one angle, terrible audio, fucking, <laughs> you know, it didn't really... My main thing that I look back on and I see is I see myself talking too fast, shoving too many questions into a short period of time and just being nervous, which I was. Yeah. And that's like my favorite thing that I've kind of like gotten past is just like, you know, just slow it down make the conversation fun and easy and and just go into depth about something my, my least favorite thing is when people rush past a topic it's like podcasting or making content online is the art of digging into that one topic and going going long going into detail about that thing without making it boring but you you, you want to fill up you know a, a good chunk of time on that one topic instead of just racing past it yeah and what do you think created that change for you because some people have that issue and and aren't able to get better what made you get better i'm just like ridiculously critical of myself and uh anything i do in life period you know if i'm filming myself doing a kendama trick if i'm looking at a clip of me on a bmx bike you know it could be the best thing i've ever done best trick i've ever done and i'm still looking at it thinking the way you moved your foot was weird. Like, you should do that better next time. You know, it's like, I don't really allow myself a lot of room to, like, just feel good about myself. I'm like a relentless self-critic. So, you know, in the early days, I would watch my own interviews and really try to just, like, pick apart what I was doing wrong. Or I watch other interviewers and try to just pick up on what I thought they were doing right. But over time, now I kind of rely on the comments. You know, the comments sort of let me know what they like and what they don't like. And I have my own opinions about if they're right or not. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you want a good balance. I think self-awareness is key. And you can't teach that to people. Mm. It's like, I can't tell you how to look at yourself. You, you need to be aware of how you look when you're walking around. <laughs> and you have to be able to read a thousand comments telling you that you absolutely fucked up and still stay true to your opinion that you did not fuck up. If you didn't. <laughs> if you didn't. If yeah. you didn't. And if you did, 
just own that shit. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with fucking up. And especially on a public platform where the internet's so unforgiving, sometimes people get prideful and they're like, fuck y'all. But sometimes like, you know what? I got this fact right. Or you know what? This take was trash. And it's just like, yo, it's cool. You know, my bad. As a grown man, I need to apologize and I'll do better and just keep it pushing. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different styles of content and so many different styles of interviews. Like, I'm, I'm kind of in awe of people who can do stuff that's different than what I do. Because like with me, I feel like there's a through line of the content where it's like we're trying to figure out how you got to where you're at today and we're going to sort of go on that path and we're going to meander off and we're going to talk about different things but ultimately the idea is to sort of cram the podcast full of as much information and good conversation sometimes i watch joe rogan who i have a lot of respect for and it's like how the fuck can this motherfucker just meander between different topics and it's like it's so free-flowing and and that to me is like I don't know that I could really do that necessarily to like be that open-minded about what you're talking about. And sometimes I see him in, I saw him interview Wiz Khalifa. I don't think Wiz Khalifa was briefed on no. what that interview was supposed to be like. Cause it, it seemed like he was waiting for the questions the whole time. Whereas with Joe, it's like just conversation, blah, blah. Let's just talk about this. We'll talk about this. You the, know? the number one thing is curiosity and basic knowledge. If you have those mm. two things, you can talk to anybody about anything, right? Because I could sit across, I do this on dates all the time. Sometimes I'll be sitting across from like a chemist. Mm. I don't know fuck all about chemistry, not really, but I'm curious about people. And so if I start to ask her about her work and how she ended up getting into it, sometimes people give you a little nugget mm. and you just pull on it and you find out there's a whole thread of really cool stuff and you find out the reason why she's a chemist is her dad uh, spent time with the UN and they worked when there was uh, the conflict in the Congo. And it's like, oh, okay, what happened there? So you could always find ways to build on it. You can have a conversation with literally anybody provided you actually care about what they're about and what they're into. If you don't care, they're going to feel that energy and they're never going to pour into what they got to give it to you. So I and, think that's and, the main and thing. And people not caring, like interviewers not giving a shit, Brutal. is the biggest thing to get past because that's really what we're doing right now is we don't have our phones, we're sitting here having a conversation and that's just like a lot of people aren't prepared for that. They're so used to being able to look at their phone and start seeing something about themselves. I've, I've been, you know, when I've like sort of coached other people that do podcasts on this channel, I've had to tell them like, the other, the person that's sitting across from you shared something really personal with you right here, and you're like this, and you you moved right past it, like you didn't give a fuck, and that's really bad because if someone shares something close, like now for me doing podcasts, I feel like intimacy and vulnerability are like the biggest factors in a way where if I can get somebody to open up or if I open up, then that's huge. That's like such a underrated thing. It's basically like just being willing to share something that maybe you never had a, a real conversation on camera about, you know? Yeah. And you want the other person to not just spit on it when you do that. Mm. You, you need that. So I watch some of your interviews and I see some of the people just can't, can't let go of their phone. It's like mm. you're in front of another person. Yeah. And they're and they're focused on you. You're not. How do you think that makes that person feel? How do you think it works out for the dynamic when I'm like, this person doesn't give a shit about being here? Which is why I ended up coming on this podcast specifically and asking you to come on because I like the way you conducted the interviews. I'd watched a couple of videos, I'd watched a couple of clips, and I was like, I like the way he sets it up. I think the professionalism's there. He's really attentive. He asks good questions, he does some research. So I'm like, that is somebody I don't I don't ask to go on a bunch of podcasts. I look at a couple of people and I'm like, I like I have a conversation with this person. Whether you're bigger than me or smaller, it doesn't matter. Mm. Do I like what you make? So I think when I see people have that kind of respect on this platform, whether it be YouTube or whatever, uh, it, it, to me, it, I think it sends a good message to people watching. And it makes me as an individual and an artist want to be on that platform. Mm. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, people underestimate the power of podcasts and just how powerful it is because the reality is, is that right now, 
we're going to give the people over an hour's worth of content of two people who have basically made it on YouTube and are making a good living for themselves, airing out all of the shit that we find interesting about the topic of becoming a popular YouTuber or just being good at having conversations on camera. I mean, when I was 13, trying to figure out how the fuck I was going to make it in life, <laughs> I would have killed for that kind of resource. And YouTube is filled with that. Like, this is just one. There's, there's a billion. There's thousands from me. There's, like, thousands from a million other content creators. Like, I, I think young kids now, some of them get it, but a lot of them don't. That it's, like, this is, like, a real deal cheat code to life. If yes. you can listen to two grown men who've kind of done the thing you want to do, have a conversation about how to do it. Yeah. I definitely agree. You know, I think the, the success is oftentimes a byproduct of, like, the trajectory. You know, you coming on here and speaking about all this stuff. Listen, I don't know what kind of life you lived, but I'm sure if I pulled on some nuggets, I'd find some things there that would be super interesting as stories or just as character development that people can take away from. Mm. You probably got, like, five, six at least events in your life that if you were to point to them, like, that was a crazy event for me. Mm. You know, for me, for example, like, there was this one memory I have, and it never leaves my head. The, real, the day I realized my family's fucked up. As I was 20, 27, I have a friend, Kate Davis, from Toronto. She's a comedian in her 40s, and she invites me back to her place because she's having a Thanksgiving dinner, okay? And uh, so I'm like, sure, I'll show up. So I'm in Toronto. I go to her place. Her family's there. Her husband's there. I'm all chilling, and I'm watching the kids interact with the mom, and everything's cordial and cool, and everyone sits at a table, and they start putting out plates of food, and they start, you know, they say a little prayer, and then they hand out stuff. And, it, and that was the moment where I was just watching this. I'm like, uh, if you don't have something in your life, you don't realize its absence until you get a little bit of it. Mm. And I thought to myself, I haven't had a family dinner since I was 12. Mm. And I gotten used to it. I didn't start crying about it. But it was just like the way that she talks to her mom in very earnest way. It's not like something like because people are around. Mm. They genuinely talk to each other with respect and love. And I'm like, I was just always growing up in something fucked up. And I never realized it until I was something different. And that after that point, I was like, Oh, this is why family's important. Yeah. This is why having people around you who actually want to spend time and have a supper with you and, and, and look at you in a profound way, this is why it's important. And that kind of morphed my thinking. Just that, just that one dinner. I've never, everyone's just starting to pass around turkey and I'm just looking like, why is this, this is fucking, and I'm like, no, I'm the one who's from a fucked up place. Mm. So, you know, we all have moments like that that kind of shape us in a way. No, 100%, yeah. I mean, and, and I see that all the time, like, just, just for an example, some, something similar that I had when I was a kid. I remember I had a friend from school, didn't realize where he lived, and then at one point I rode my bike after school to his house. He lived in a trailer park, but I'm young enough. I'm, like, third, fourth grade. I don't really get that my house is pretty nice compared to the trailer park. Then I, I meet his mom, and I don't really, like, you know, get it. But then my mom came to pick me up, and I'm looking at my mom and looking at his mom and they're having a conversation and I'm realizing like, oh, my mom is a very smart, respectable woman. And this other dude's mom, realistically, is trailer trash. And I mean, much respect to her. But I mean, you know, it's like different levels in society. And that, that was the first time that I ever realized like, oh, like a lot of people are not from the same background as me. And, and, and it would be until much, much later that I realized like, oh, my parents aren't like top of society they're actually extremely middle lower middle class right and that there's a ton of people on earth who would look at my family like they're a bunch of fucking bumpkins basically in comparison and it takes so long for you to realize like exactly 
where you are at in society or where you come from. Like you, you, I, I remember not like leaving my hometown, moving to New York for years and years and then coming back with a bunch of my friends on a BMX trip and everyone in the van was like looking around in the downtown area and being like, holy fuck, there are so many junkies around here. And I had never realized as a kid, like, oh yeah, all these people are drug addicts wandering around downtown right now. Yeah. When you, your, your environment shapes you in ways like you will never, whatever happened to that kid, the trailer trash kid? How did, Probably nothing good. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, and, and it's interesting because you see the genesis of stuff and you see how people are just born into circumstances. Like you didn't, and, and who knows, maybe the mom as well didn't ask to be put in that circumstance, but you just realize like we, we don't all get dealt the same hand yeah. and it really changes your trajectory forever. And that's the mo even more important realization is when you realize like, I didn't, I didn't choose any of this. I didn't control any of this. And even my success, I didn't like, I didn't choose the circumstances that allowed for me to then become successful. I didn't choose to become a hard worker. I yeah. just happened to be that way. That's the arrogance of people sometimes who are highly successful. They credit everything always to their hard work, not recognizing the circumstances. Like, yep. you know, sometimes people talk about white privilege. I'm like, do you know the privilege of being born in a first world country? Mm. The privilege of being born to a middle class family? The privilege of being born with all your limbs intact and you're mm -hmm. fine, not no mental health issues like schizophrenia or things like that? There are so many things that can derail a person's life that has nothing to do with their choices. Right. And so I... I'm successful today, but I also recognize how many times I was lucky. Mm -hmm. How many times I'm like escaped by the skin of my teeth. How many times I didn't get a DUI, you know? And it only takes one. <laughs> and it only takes one. Yeah. You know, somebody signs the wrong contract and ends up $100,000 in debt. So that's why I look at sometimes people who are less fortunate. And I don't look at them like, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I recognize sometimes there's also a lot of bad luck that happens to people. Mm -hmm. You know, if we sit there and we just think, oh, it's always a choice. I'm like, then you don't understand basic psychology you don't understand sociology you don't understand the idea of like how an environment like when you grow up in a place where the life expectancy is 20 how are you going to look at that person and be like pick yourself up you know I, I, that shit makes me so mad because i'm like you've never lived in environments like that for you to say that and just because let's say you did hypothetically just because you had a good outcome it doesn't change the fact that that environment fucks up most people there mm. you know what i'm saying it's like sometimes men will come out of the hood and they're like why couldn't you do it you want to know why he couldn't do it? Because it turns out his mom sometimes was giving him crack when he was 13. Mm -hmm. And now he has schizophrenia. Sometimes it's crazy shit like that. So I try to, I try to not always be so boisterous and be like, it's all my hard work. It, no, yeah. it's, it's a, I've had people who supported me just at the right time when I would have fucked my life up. I remember a period of time where everybody was getting tattoos that said self-made. It's like, motherfucker, you ain't self-made. Like, you know how lucky you are that you were born in a nice gated community in Florida and you fucking have, didn't happen to become involved in all. Like, I mean, it's one thing to be happy about your success. It's another thing to, to look at everybody else. Like, why couldn't you do what I fucking did? And the whole thing about the self-made thing, the one that irks me the most is like, you also don't show love to all the people who carried you here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? whether it be your parents, your friends, your mentor, that one teacher who said, listen, you had a talent for music, don't give up. Those little words of encouragement can change your fucking life. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I had one sergeant in the military who kind of kept me going when I wanted to leave early, and he's like, nah, you, you can. And that was like one of the biggest turning points in my life. So I can't sit here today and be like, self-made, it's just me. It's like, no, there's people who took the time out of their day to come and try to support me when nobody else would or they didn't have to. And if I were to say self-made, so arrogant because it doesn't show respect to their, their input in my life. So mm. I always try to remember that when I'm here and, and, and always understand the importance of community. You know, you talk about family. That's a community as well. A small mm. one, but still something. The idea of just being able to do that for others, you know. 
And by the time you get to your 30s and you've been through a lot of different groups of friends and you've been through a lot of relationships and then when you kind of like really be able to see the forest from the trees, you're like, you look at your family, it's like, these are the only people that would be there for me in the long run if everything else went away, you know? Like if I went to prison for 10 years, these would be the people waiting for me when I got out. Definitely to some degree, yes. Yeah, but it's, I don't look at it so, 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 so strongly like that because I think... I think when you, when you think of community, right? Let's say if you just think of your neighborhood and you do such a great job of supporting the people, um, yes, maybe they won't be waiting for you right as you come out of that. But if you've really invested in that place and you've really been part of these people's lives and these people have maintained that cohesion, when you come out, I promise you, I know a lot of places where people do organize dinners and they're like, mm -hmm. what do you need when you come out? It depends on where you live. Mm -hmm. I can assure you in places where family, like, you know when they say the whole, like it takes a village to raise a child? Right. There are places where that's real. Yeah. There are places where like, if you go off to jail for 10 years and you come back, people can't wait. Do you need clothes? Do you mm -hmm. need a place to stay? You need a couch to stay on? There are places like that. So just, it depends off you foster it. It depends if you really build on it. But if you're saying your family's going to be the closest to you when you come out, I would agree with that. Do you feel like you have that kind of connection in Canada where you live, where like you have these like deep-seated relationships with a lot of people, including not just your family? Um, I, I fortunately have a few, but though they're not based in that city. I think mm. I've only been in that city for six years. Okay. I'm in Toronto. So I've unfortunately lived as a transplant most of my life, so I've Same. never had the chance to really set those roots in. But now I'm sticking around. I want to be there. You know, we're investing in community centers and different initiatives. Um, so... I would like that, and I'm trying to, to, to make that happen for myself and I have people who, who are reciprocating that energy. And I think you also kind of understand this. Do you not feel like a sense of pride for the fact that you've created something that puts money in everyone else's pockets? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when you're able to pay your people and get your money as well, there is something that's great that's like, you don't have to worry about your rent this month. You've done the work for me. I want to support you as well. That reciprocity. There's like a pride that you feel knowing you can help the people around you. Oh, yeah. That's huge. I mean, yeah, and that's why... <laughs> like I remember one time I went out to eat with this fucking YouTube influencer and a couple of her friends and I just noticed out of the corner of my eye that when the check came that she paid the check and then had her three like employees like Venmo her for the meal I'm like you are worth like 20 million dollars what the fuck are you doing like that just blew my mind I'm like I have never let somebody who had, you know, 10% of the money that I had pay for a fucking meal when they're with me, in, like, probably since I had money like that. Like, that just doesn't even compute in my brain. Like, of course I'm paying for the food. And, yeah, that just, like, that freaks me out when I realize people, like, kind of don't don't understand that. And it's not even a pity thing. It's like, when I eat, you eat. Yeah. You know, like, I got my people, right? When I first started popping off, I started hiring from the folks that I knew who needed jobs and that were ready to work. Right. You know what I'm saying? That were, like, ready to do it. I'm like, I couldn't wait. And now that they got their bread, like just to be able to funnel that to other folks that I care about and to, to them reciprocate with hard work, I can't wait. So when I'm taking out folks, I'm like, yo, Sammy, I don't really care. Right. Like, don't even stress it. It's not even like I'm looking down on you, brother. I have it, so eat. Because if not, it just goes to waste. So let me support my people. So right. uh, I completely understand that. For me, there's no better feeling than I'm like, yo, you need this? All right, I got you. Let me help you out. How many people do you have working for you? At the moment, it's only three. Okay. It's, at the moment, it's only three. We run a really small operation. But Editors or? Um, editors as well as researchers but uh, mm -hmm. one thing that we have with our operation is that we do grants so we do grants for different events people organize stuff so you know we got in our city we have a lot of people and at least in my circle who organize like festivals and things like that so you know we, we set that up that way as well so uh, it doesn't always have to be through employment purposes mm -hmm. yeah
researchers, huh? So like they'll just help you find topics that are popping off, or how does that go? It's like yeah, we we do five videos a week, so I can't always spend time on Google because I do also some of the editing as well. So mm. I have somebody who can look into it deeply and get me some of the information that I wouldn't be able to find if I didn't research. So, right. Yeah. So usually, have you seen the videos before you react to them, or are you usually seeing it for the first time? I'll watch a video for like a minute or two, and I'm like, ooh, this is there's, some, there, good, there's yeah. some juice. And then after that, stop. Preach never watches the videos beforehand. And right. I think it helps him be much more natural in that moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like? Do you feel like you're using that comedian side of your brain? Like, are you cooking up jokes a little bit in advance in your head? Never, never. What I'm thinking about in that moment is like maybe a couple like, I don't know how I feel about that, but generally it's all spontaneous. Right. It's all spontaneous. You could do the whole written stuff, but then it loses a little bit of the organic feel. Right. You know. When did you pivot into uh, being part of the manosphere per se? <laughs> Man, I was never, you know, that's the interesting thing about that. I never joined that sphere. It's not like I started doing a bunch of podcasts with all those folks. What ended up happening, and, and, and you can look up these interviews, right? There's a show called The Black Phillip Show, which is done by Patrice O'Neill. Right? Okay. This is in 2011. Right. I started watching that, okay? And I started watching podcast clips from that. And then he just started talking about a whole bunch of men's issues, as well as like game and stuff that I'd never heard anyone speak about. So as a young man, it was like a treasure cove for me. It's not like, oh, this man knows my struggle and he knows how to get me from point A to point B and he's been there. And uh, just listening to those conversations, like it's stuff I internalized. So later on, when 2016 hit before the manosphere was ever really a thing thing, uh, we were already talking about these issues. It was just a thing. Like we just, I just wanted to speak on shit that I thought was important. Mm. You know, and then this thing came along and I just got roped into it. But I'm like, when have I ever subscribed to this? When did I put my card in? Yeah, I had never even heard of the Manosphere until I interviewed Kevin Samuels. And then I started to see all these comments being like, oh, so-and-so is pissed off that he didn't get on here first. Or so-and-so is pissed off. And I'm like, oh, fuck. All right, so this is kind of a overall community of sorts even though like some people seem to be unwillingly i think it's uh, i think i think people just create a name for a genre of people who speak about certain sets of topics but for me it's like not even the main stuff we talk about we Mm. talk about everything so um i don't really subscribe to it that's why i'm not beholden to anything me and preachers just do our own thing we talk about stuff and we work with people we think are interesting period i do think it's a lot, uh, maybe not all of it, but well, definitely not all of it. But I think that there is something important about what's going on with people like Kevin Samuels and stuff because you know, there was a certain point of me as a creator where I remember I said something in a video, maybe 2016, and I said, like, listen, we live in a patriarchal society and yada, 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 just sort of like repeating a lot of the tropes that I had been fed. Yeah. And the comment section was shitting on me, and I didn't realize that. I was just kind of like reiterating shit that I had read in like mainstream news articles and that like I I think it is important that there are voices that basically act on behalf of like men and and how men see the world because so much of what's going on in the mainstream media is like completely unaware treats men like they're the scum of the fucking earth like they're not worthy of examination or empathy and so in a lot of ways I think that like somebody like Kevin Samuels might get a bad rap but I mean, he's kind of doing like necessary work because so much of like the plight of young men is kind of just ignored. I mean, it's the same idea with Jordan Peterson. And yeah. it comes back to one of the first points I said on this was like balance. Mm-hmm. The same way you got to have ladies issues being addressed, men's issues. You, know, you can't come out and say men are committing suicide at alarming rates far, fat, far, far more than women are. Mm. Uh, you know, that men are dying from violence and all these other issues. And then also say, what about men's issues? It's like, it's just crazy talk. So acknowledging those problems, saying that they're real, there's nothing wrong with that. Having a talk about that doesn't take away from women's issues. So Mm. we just talked about it because we felt like there's a void to fill and it was part of why we got success. 
And uh, I think it's great that there's other creators who do it as well. And, uh, you know, whether it be Kevin or anybody else, I'm like, yo, just do it with integrity. You know, just be honest about your views. Don't don't say things because you heard someone else say it like you had. Actually, think about it and re- then preach it to other people. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because that was your mistake. Your mistake was you internalized something you didn't fully understand. Yeah. And then people realized you were faking the funk. And then he's like, yo, get off my, my screen. Right. Mm. So that was the main thing. Yeah. Like, I remember even uh, before that, I remember listening to a podcast one time. And it was this dude who was had sort of like a very extreme social justice warrior type attitude. And this was before I'd ever even heard the term social justice warrior. Probably talking like 2014, 2015. Yeah. And I felt like the allure of sort of just buying into that ideology and just choosing to view everything through the framework of white supremacy and, you know, the patriarchy and et cetera. And I remember like sort of feeling like tempted in a way because it just made everything seem so easy and simple if I were to just sort of buy into this. Yeah. But then, you know started to do a little bit more research and realized like, oh, actually, like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors here. Like this is not really reality. There's money in that. There's yeah, money in exactly. being the token person. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The same way a black person come out and be like, black people are terrible. All of a sudden, they get hundreds of thousands of followers mm-hmm. from people who can't wait to hear that from a black folks, right? right? You get these little cookies that encourage you to kind of go down that rabbit hole and, 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 and work against your own self-interest. So uh, it's incentivized and, um, you know, who doesn't want to be told that they're in the right and have so much following and so many people supporting them? Any man, how a man be like, fuck the patriarchy. Mm. Uh, men are evil. There's a whole bunch of women like, wow, and... What guy doesn't want a bunch of women to be like, you're such a good guy? Which is why you find out a bunch of these male feminists are trash people mm. who end up doing shit shit behind closed doors because you realize that they're in it for the wrong reasons. They don't believe in the ideology that they spew. They're just they're they're addicted to the dopamine effect of having people be like, You're good. Yeah. Totally. That's all it comes down to. Yeah, and sometimes I don't know if like minorities realize that they're being hoodwinked and co-opted by like activists basically, and that they paint the cause as being like anti-racism, but in reality, it's like they've stealthily tricked you into buying into a whole lot of shit that I don't think you really even realize that you're agreeing with when you agree with the things that you're agreeing with in certain circumstances. Like, yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, and part of it, I think, and, and Kevin Samuels, I really see this, is that I think that American black people are much, much more conservative than anyone usually acknowledges in the media. And then you see someone like Kevin Samuels come out, and when I'm listening to Kevin Samuels, I'm hearing a shitload of Jordan Peterson from him. And I'm realizing like the fact that this guy is so fucking popular really says a lot about this view, this this viewpoint not being expressed for that audience. Yeah, people don't know that, or they choose to ignore it because it doesn't fit the narrative. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, oftentimes, me and preach, we get called fence sitters because sometimes we have views that lean right and views that lean left. But I'm like, if you understand the history of black folks, you know that um, even though they may vote Democrat, socially speaking, a lot of their views are extremely conservative. Like, mm. you know. When it comes to homosexuality, it's not the most popular thing in the black community. You know what I'm saying? So people can't understand that these people may vote left, but then also have views that are completely right-leaning. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's okay to have that duality. So uh, what Kevin reflects is just a real reality of, um, of the um, black American experience. And anybody who spent time around black folks knows this to be true. It mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me. So when white folks act incredulous and they're like, well, I didn't know that uh, uh, you guys felt this way about the LGBT 
because you don't know black folks. Right. You just don't. Because if you did, you would know it's always been like that. Or the, the thing that's really mind-blowing is, like, how there were all these breathless articles about, like... The baby? You, okay, that, that we could talk about. But, like, the fact that people were so astonished that Mexican people were voting for Donald Trump, the reality is, is that probably nobody is more familiar with some of the fucked up shit that can go on with illegal immigrants than Mexican people who see who see it in their own communities when people come here illegally and then are able to do whatever and then get shipped back. I mean, nobody should be really that surprised by it. But, you know, white liberals who write these articles for Vox want to believe that each ethnic group is a monolith who's going to vote exactly the same, and then they're just taken aback when it doesn't plan out, play L out. Listen, listen. You could be a leftist as much as you want, support the hijab, and support Muslims. Go to a Muslim country. You won't see much, see much LGBTQ action going on. Okay? Mm. People are like, I can't believe that they would vote for... Go to Mexico and see how left-leaning they are. Uh, you know what? It's a lot very conservative in a lot of ways. Mm. You know I mean? They're very tough on crime, and they like that. They, they like a lot of those policies. So I'm like, you only think that way because... You just see them as a voting block, not recognizing there's a culture they come from, there's habits that they have. And if you don't care to study that, you don't actually care about the experience of minorities. That's mm -hmm. why I always I find it crazy when people are like, I can't believe that in Saudi Arabia they didn't allow women to drive to that. Bruv, it's because you don't really care about them as people. You've never turned to study them other than to virtue signal and be like, I support Muslims. But you don't even know Muslims. You mm -hmm. don't even know Arabs. You don't even know all the different countries they come from. So just say... I'm doing this because it's politically, politically cool. That's it. How how religious are you at this point in your life? Oh, not at all. Not, not at all. all. I'm okay. I'm well versed. I understand them and I know them, but I, not not for me at all. When do you lose faith? Oh, since I was a kid, man. I grew up in a Muslim household and I had a bunch of questions for my for my family and they couldn't answer. And I'm like, oh, I I I can't be a fraud. Right. That, that's not me. And it got my family super mad at me. And when I joined the military, listen, joining the military at 18. At the height of the Afghanistan war, when Muslims and Christians were having so much conflict between each other, you can imagine what kind of conflict. But I'm like, this is what I, this is what I believe in right now. This is what I want to do. So I just did anyways. But faith, yeah, that's never been for me. But I don't poo-poo it either. Mm. I don't shit on it. Yeah, because the same thing with me where from the age of like 11 or 12, it was pretty fucking obvious that I didn't believe in God. I had to tell my parents I had to make my mom cry telling her that I didn't believe in God, which is hilarious now because it just doesn't seem like that many people have to have that experience uh telling their parents that now but yeah i mean as i've gotten older i've, I've gotten more into the perspective of like a lot of people need this to keep their heads screwed on straight so i'm not going to look down on anybody if you are using it to bring negativity into the world like if you're oh i'm going to take on this uh, muslim identity and all of a sudden i'm going to start you know treating women like shit and being horrible to gay people then yeah i object to that but you know if, if you i feel like every religion is so open-ended for the most part that you can pretty much use it to accomplish whatever it is you want in life so i mean i, I can't look down on anybody for that i'll say this especially for the states if you removed all religion and everyone stopped believing tomorrow, suicides would skyrocket. It is very hard for people to suffer and to live through real poverty without them thinking there's something to come out on the other side. That's true. You know, imagine being poor in your 50s and 60s, right? And all that waits for you is more poverty and more suffering. Mm. That's a hard thing for people to stomach when they're crushed by society. That's why it's absolutely necessary for people. And this is not to denigrate or to mock it. It's like I understand that for some people it's the lifeline. It's like their, their only hope. It's what they see as like I can make it through this day because mm -hmm. I got somebody looking out for me who's looking out for my well-being. So that's why I never, I never fuck with that. I don't fuck with people's hope. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't play that. Yeah. yeah. This is pointless because, I mean, most of it, 99% of it is stuff that just doesn't really relate to the real world, you know? Yeah. If you believe in God, 
so you want to make it so that you know women can't get birth control well yeah. okay now i have an issue with it but yeah. you know if it's if it makes if, if your version of religion is i'm gonna hang some stuff on the wall and i'm gonna pray at night like what the fuck could anyone possibly care about this for you know my only problem with it is i think sometimes people take the text too literally not mm-hmm. understanding that a lot of it is more metaphors a lot yeah. of it is more stories to represent element that's why they have the whole idea of like archetypes Greek mythology was fantastic because the stories, even though they weren't real, told real life lessons. And I think the Bible and even the Quran has the same ideas. Mm. Uh, and so sometimes when people take, take it too, too literal, I get a little bit lost in the sauce. But if you think about like Greek mythology, like there's great morals. Icarus is a great one. Mm. The story of Icarus, the guy who is told by his father not to fly too close to the sun or burn your wings. And he flies up and he ends up burning his wings because he, he thought he could do anything he wanted. And he ends up drowning the ocean. It's like, you know, it's, it's the idea of like ambition is good, but be careful as you're rising because sometimes it can swallow you up. You have to do it properly. And if you don't, it could, it could swallow you and kill you. So um, I think these kinds of stories, their importance in teaching the next generation is like the good values, mm. the good ideas that you need to learn. The thing that I wish people would understand is that you know, these religious texts are man's, one of men's, man's first attempts at understanding the world and coming up with a moral code, you know? Yeah. They absolutely should not be our final attempt no. at figuring out what's right and wrong. A lot of people treat it too much like that, or like a justification for doing things that are clearly wrong in modern times when we have so much evidence and, and so many ideas out there that would be a lot better suited. Uh, yeah, how, how are you feeling about... Uh, the Taliban making big moves, man. <laughs> They're out here, man. Hey, man, I, I told this to everybody. I said we should have never been there, right. and uh, we pull out now. It is what it is. It's their country. It's their mm. efforts for them to handle. Now, obviously, the people that helped you while you were there, you should probably get them out. But outside of that, mind your business. The you thing, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what's crazy? It's, you know, as a Canadian who's, like, lived in the States and lived in, lived in Canada and elsewhere as well, like sometimes Americans will be like, well, we don't want your input on American politics. I'm like, well, Americans have input on everyone's politics. Mm. You guys choose other presidents. You remove other dictators. You remove other leaders at your own will. It's like you guys are involved in a lot of places. You change the lives in the courses of so many people. So, of course, a lot of people are going to take interest in your politics because mm. whoever you're leading, like think, think of Libya. It's a fucking failed state. It's crazy out there. You know, during Gaddafi's time, it was a much better place, and they just killed him. They mm. went in there and they assassinated the man. It's, it's a crazy world out there. So, um, play, I just I, I wish more sovereign states would mind their business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My only wonder though is is so we invaded the place because of 9/11, and then you know 20 years later we leave. Aren't they just going to keep getting more sophisticated and get their shit together more and more until eventually they're able to launch some terrorist attacks on our country? And then what are we going to do? We're going to just drone strike the fuck out of them forever? That's, that's got to be how this plays out, right? So I'm going to say two things. One, geopolitics is so complicated. You mm, know, Sometimes enough. you're just operating on so little information, it's hard to make a really good take. And the second thing I'll, think I'll say is you know, that, that war had very little to do with terrorism. Mm. And in, in that narrative that they kept pushing, like even the soldiers who went over there, it's like, why are we defending poppy seeds, mm. you know, poppy fields? And well, what are we really doing here? Just fine. And you just realize it's a money grab. It's, mm. There's a lot of money involved for those defense contractors for keeping this war going. That motherfuckers made bank. I'm talking billions of dollars. So my mindset is like, if it means that our own people don't have to go over there to die, then I'm all for it. I just can't help but feel like if there's another terrorist attack that it's just going to be like, all right, let's fucking dump $20 trillion back into this operation. Yeah, and, and man, listen, that would, 9-11's his own little conspiracy, so I'm going to just let that one go. If Biden leaves Afghanistan and then also brings them back to Afghanistan within the same term, movie. 
Hey man, like I said, the military industrial complex wants their, their bread. You, they could they could think about this. If you if you make a lot of money, if a country goes to war, why wouldn't you just organize your own terrorist attack on your own people to justify going to war? Mm. Billions, trillions. So for me, um, I'm the type of person where I find it so interesting that it's always like the states that are really being hit by these kind of things. Um, or, or being threatened with that. If you go to other countries, it's not nearly as prevalent. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they know those people won't send their soldiers right away. So it's, there's no money in it. I, I don't know. It's a whole conspiracy that I probably, I probably shouldn't be talking well, about. To be fair, there's a shitload of terrorist attacks in like just London a couple of years ago. There's a fuckload of terrorist attacks. I mean, their, their instinct isn't like, let's find out what country they're from and just bomb the fuck out of it and send all our soldiers well, well, there. Well, well, they did. They did that with ISIS. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ISIS got fucked up, right? Okay. And all those people were like, for the caliphate. I mean, they, they do some crazy stuff. They be doing beheadings in, like, France and churches. Yeah. Well, oh, man. I don't know. It's crazy out there. It's actually, let's get back to the manosphere. Um, okay. So, what has it been, like, a slow progression of realizing what your audience wants you to talk about? Or do you still, and do you feel like you are sort of governed by knowing what the audience wants you to talk about versus maybe just what you feel like talking about. How do you play that balance? I mean, listen, we could, there's different ways of going about YouTube. You can find a niche and just cover that and you'll build an audience that loves that niche and then therefore your subscriber base will watch pretty much every video. Mm. That's not how we did stuff. We'll have one video where we're talking about like reacting to a random Jubilee video about like moms and dads. Then we'll have another video where we're talking about the fact that women can also be physically abusive in relationships. And then we'll have another video where we talk about culture and how like Haiti's a very segregated country in some ways. And like we just want to talk about things that we're interested in. Does that result in the fact that we dilute some things for our fans? Sure, because not everyone who comes to watch us for one video will come to watch us for another. So the way we kind of operate is like, we just gonna talk about what we want to talk about. You tune in for two videos, great. You tune in for one, that's fantastic. And we just keep it pushing. The same way you do interviews with people from all walks of life. Mm. Not everyone's gonna jive with every single interview because the guest, like, I don't give a fuck about that guest, right? So mm. um, I kind of operate in the same thing. So that's kind of the mindset. Definitely. I do think that your fans seem very, very committed, though, because I noticed you guys have like a pretty consistent like bar that your videos will get. So it feels like, yes, you will have outlier popular ones, but for the most there's part, there's a core. There's always a core. Yeah. yeah. And you know what it is? It's um, there are moments where the fans feel like you really represent something for them or you really mm. hit home for them. And then they start to build a bit of loyalty. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then it takes a different tone. Now it's not like I want to hear what he's talking about. I just want to hear. Mm. him speak right. period right. even if it's not a topic I generally love I'm still going to come in because I find it so interesting and I really appreciate that person that I'm going to still just tune in but that's the ultimate level of trust yeah. is to have them see that you're talking about something that they don't know anything about that's why I look at PewDiePie as like kind of the ultimate YouTuber because some of his thumbnails make no fucking sense there's completely arbitrary random shit inside jokes 7 million views and I'm like bro that is the worst fucking video title I've ever seen in my life, and you still got that many views. That, that's incredible. Because I'm going to tell you something. Optimization is great, but the number one thing that matters on this platform is authenticity. Yeah. Above everything else. I don't, I've seen dudes with the most professional setup. You got crazy backlights and all the greatest guests in the world, and people mm-hmm. don't really fuck with it because they don't, they don't feel like they're getting anything from it. They don't really feel like they're connecting with the person on the other side of that screen. You watch PewDiePie, he's got his own inside jokes. The videos are great for the fans, and that's why I'm always like, it's not for me, but I respect it because mm-hmm. he, he's, he's, he is who he is. And that's what I say all the time on this platform. It doesn't matter what you do. 
Do it consistently and do it authentically. If you do those two things, you'll probably get somewhere. Mm. You'll probably get somewhere. Do you get burnt out? Because, you know, you're putting out like a video, five videos a week, I guess, on average. Um, do you get burnt out or is it a small enough workload that you can just sort of pop in, talk 20 minutes, pop back out? So burnout to me is like when you keep going, you keep going, then all of a sudden you have to stop because you can't keep going. I just take breaks when I want to. Mm. Hey, guys, we're not going to come in for two weeks. And the audience understands and they respect the platform enough to be like, cool. You know, it's free. It's there for you to watch. You guys come watch it. But some days we want to take days off. Some days we're going to give you extra videos. Mm. It is what it is. It's kind of like the chaotic aspect of it. So I don't tell people, I don't tell people expect this many videos a week. I'm like, we'll probably do this. And if we don't, it is what it is. We took a three month break at one point during the pandemic. And I was like, at the height of it, when we were killing it. And I'm like, I just, I'm like, I told preach, I'm like, I need two days off. And then after that, I'm like, I just don't want to come back and do more videos. I need some more time. Mm. And he's like, cool, not an issue. And we're both really cool about that. We're not so caught up in making money or staying on top of it. We still paid our people and made sure they were good, but um, just take time if you need it. Yeah, did you, you didn't feel like the audience was kind of pissed off or over it? I think nowadays the audience is, so there's always a couple of goobers who are like, well, will you, I need my videos. I'm like, bro, you didn't pay a dime. Shut free, up. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Netflix is 10 bucks a month or whatever. I mean, yeah. this is free, so you really can't tell me shit. I pause the Patreon because I'm not going to take their money if I'm not oh. going to give them content. So I, I'm, you have to have ethics. If, you, if they pay for it's like I can't take your money for a comedy show and not show up. That's ridiculous. That's, that's fair, yeah. So I find a good balance. But uh, most people are very supportive. I think most people understand. I, I also have to acknowledge I have the privilege of doing that with my job. Mm. Not everyone can because most people live paycheck to paycheck. You can't just take time off. So I acknowledge I have that privilege and I understand it. And if I can, I'll take it. Um, and most people are like, yeah, I wish I could. So I understand you taking it. Do your thing, brother. Do you have like a bigger vision? You know, like, because I, like when I came into the game, it was very much like the goal is make a lot of videos, make a lot of money off the v advertising on those videos through AdSense. And that's going to be how you make money. Now it's like, oh, you need to get a fucking Spotify exclusive and get a $40 million check for that. You need to have a TV show. You need to do all these different things. And it's like, Sometimes I'm just looking at that as like an old school YouTuber and I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm just going to keep doing the shit I've been doing and not try to like reach a different plateau. Yeah. So I think my, my, my mantra is like, just make dope shit. Mm. Make shit that you really think is exciting, that you want to do. If it gets stale, stop doing it and try to do something new. Mm. It's okay to walk away from certain stuff, you know. Um, I I know if you want to optimize things, you should have a vision board, do all this stuff. But I think what keeps balance for me in my life is I just work hard at what I do because I enjoy it. And as long as I think I'm making stuff that I enjoy and content I believe in, I'm good. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a lofty, ambitious person. Me getting here is a blessing. Mm. I'm grateful. Wonderful. Fantastic. If I was making 50, 70K a year doing this job, I still would have been okay. Mm. So I just think about it from the mindset of... Uh, I wanted to make content that people enjoyed and that's it. And, and I think that is what people feel, that authenticity again, is what they resonated with. But yeah, I think everyone should move differently. Mm. So you're not going solo? I didn't actually watch the video, but I saw that you clickbaited it, that people want you to break up with a... I mean, here's the thing. We already have solo careers. Okay. Preach does podcasts on his own. He has his own podcast about sex and French that he does really well. Oh, He's on French. tour. Wow. He's on tour right now throughout uh, Canada doing comedy shows so we're we're a duo who does ab and preach together right but i have my own stand-up comedy career i've done competitions i've won a bunch of stuff i've done just for laughs on my own so um we do this together it's like you and jd you guys do this together but i'm sure he's got his own life and he does his own shit ad 
Yeah. Oh, it's AD or JD? AD. AD, my bad. Yeah, we call him JD. He's a J-Cat. All right. Um, but, yeah, so, so it's like you can work together and do something, but you also do things apart. So are we going to break off? No, because we just enjoy doing it. There comes a time where everything ends. Mm. But, uh, no. You guys don't go through struggles with the friendship? Has, it, has, has the business and the enormity of your channel ever, like, really affected the friendship or caused you guys to have some contention? So, so when we started, we weren't friends at all, okay? And uh, what, what ended up happening is I, I, he was good at what he did. Mm. Right, we, we used to host events, and I was like, "Yo, you want to jump on? We do videos because I, I like that we move." So he's like, "Cool." So we started doing uh, videos together, and it worked out really well. But there was never really a friendship. We didn't hang out after work. We didn't call each other to ask how we were doing. We're like, "Yo, we filmed today. Cool. What's some topics that?" And I think starting off very business oriented was the best thing possible. Mm. Right, like it was just business. I was like, "All right, this is your check. All right, we split this 50-50. Everything was really organized, so there was never any weirdness. Because mm. you know, sometimes you got friends and you do business with them. And something weird happens in the business and y'all hanging out. It makes the atmosphere fucking weird. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you can't just leave business at work. That's not how it works. Because, like, bro, if you haven't done the work and you're out here hanging out, like, bro, go do it. You know what I mean? Like, you start to have those thoughts. So um, it's just been about that. Now, eventually things happen. You guys go through stuff and you start to build a camaraderie as you, as you go through things. Mm. And then the relationship starts to change from there. But it's business first and then everything else afterwards. But I think what kept us working well together and the main thing is that I respected him. Mm. He was a, he, he, I, I don't doubt one thing about him. It's his character. And he has the same relationship with me. I think if you have that between two people and you respect each other, then you can put your egos aside and focus on the business when it matters. Mm. Yeah, that shit goes a long way for sure. I feel like it would be really hard for me to have started my career out like you guys where I was part of like a duo because I sometimes look at my, like, because I feel like you guys are very similar people in the sense that you seem very chill. You're happy to be making a good living. But making a good living doesn't make you then do the the math in my head, which is like, oh, I'm making this amount of money. I need to make 20 times that amount of money. I'm going to go so fucking hard. I'm going to build this part of the business, this part of the business. Sometimes I feel like my ambition is kind of hard for like other people to like wrap their head around. Yes. So like that seems like you guys are kind of on the same page in that regard. Yeah. So this, I think this is like the next step where not everyone's going to match your level. And I think if you're okay with that, then you can extract from other people the strength that they can bring to it while still understanding you're going to be the one who's in the lead and pushing everything. Right. Right. So I do more of the work for Admin Preach. Mm. Right. I do more of the back end. I do more of the negotiations. And that's cool. And even though it's not necessarily a 50-50 partnership behind the scenes, I'm fine with that because I understand what he brings to the table and I'm always going to respect that. You know what I'm saying? So once I got out of that mindset of understanding, like, he needs to be perfectly in balance, it doesn't have to be. Mm. You know, I don't think relationships have to be 50-50. It's fine for one person to do a lot more of this stuff, and it's okay, provided you guys respect and appreciate what the other person brings. Mm. And, um, and that's how we function. And I think for him, it gives him a lot of liberty to go do other stuff, which he loves to do. And for me, I get to pour more of my time into the brand. And um, that's how I keep that balance, because I was the one who's pushing a lot of this stuff forward. And... Um, that imbalance of like that ambition that you're talking about, I get it completely, mm -hmm. but it's just about slowing down and be like, he doesn't have to do all that. The same way I don't think, um, it, J, A, J, A, D, A, D. A, D. See, I had to think about that one. A, D. I'm, I'm sure he doesn't necessarily do as much as you in terms of the back end and stuff like that. Right. But you still really appreciate what he brings to the table. Oh, yeah. So I think that's that. Definitely. So is this current feud with Fresh and Fit, is this like the biggest YouTuber on YouTuber drama that you've been involved with so far? This is kind of new ground for you? Honestly, it's so weird. 
It's so weird. Like from the first video to the like the the, the, the response, I was like, there was such a disconnect. I was just confused. Right, because okay, so you went on their show, and then months later, you ended up making a video about some of the stuff that was said about a certain percentage of what was discussed. Okay, so I want to just cover that real quick. I think that caused confusion. We covered a bunch of stuff that we said on those podcasts. Right. Most of them were very positive. We did like four videos where we covered little clips of the podcast. So we did two podcasts. We did one during the day, me, Preach, and those two guys. And then we did a second one with the bimbos and then us three, okay? I didn't remember the first podcast. Both happened the same day because the second one was like so fucking weird. Right? Being around those girls. Yeah, and, and just the whole <laughs> dynamic of the podcast. It was just so, I, I, I just left right afterwards. They went, I was like, nah, I'm pissed. Because it was just so strange. And then I ended up covering clips of that. So I post one every two, three weeks. And then somebody sent me the first podcast. And they're like, yo, you got to check this out. Do you remember this? And I rewatched it. I'm like, yo, I'm clipping this. So there's actually four other parts of that podcast that we we're going to cover. Some positive, some negative. We did the first one that happened to be negative from that podcast. And like, where did this come from? I was like, bro, we just covered this video the way we cover everything else. Mm. It's not that deep. So I think that's the context that people are missing. Uh, but, yeah. Do you feel like the video you made was, like, perhaps a little too aggressive towards them, considering that you had, like, been on their show and they had welcomed you into that and everything? Like, is, is you know, like, if you were to make a video about this podcast and there was, like, a certain chunk of what we said that you then were, like, you know, maybe a little aggressive towards me, I could see myself feeling away. But did okay. you feel like you crossed that line? So here's the thing. We were confrontational on those points during the podcast. Okay. I was confrontational to him about some stuff he said on it. So it's not like I, I came with a weird energy. You know what I'm saying? Even on the podcast, we were talking about, oh, Abba came with the smoke. Because I said, like, yo, why would you say that? And he answered, and it's cool. We moved on. Watching in hindsight, I just had new things. I could understand how they may have felt some type of way. But at the end of the day, did we hit below with the belt? Did we say anything that was not on the topic? Right? Mm. Did we not just attack the ideas more than anything? And I think maybe the tone might have said some people the wrong way. Sure. And if you want to get on that, I'm not mad at anyone. I could definitely understand how the tone, but it's also the tone that we keep with all of our videos. So it's a bit of consistency. But can I understand why they felt that type of way? Sure. But then the response was just crazy. Right. I, I, that's what I didn't understand. Because they made it really personal and they made it really about clout and stuff, right? You saw the response. Did it have anything to do with the original video? I, I feel like I know where they're coming from because as a creator, sometimes this can be your instinct is like, I'm going to just come in here and start firing and just explain how I'm better than you. The audience is very, very rarely persuaded by that. The audience at the end of the day would rather hear you confront the ideas that are being discussed and not make it a pissing contest. Bro, if I come at you and I critique you for some of your stuff, all right, your ideas how you feel about no jumper, how to raise a family, right? Mm -hmm. Critiquing those. And then you come at me upset and you'd be like, your mom left you when you were a child. What the fuck does that have to do with the conversation we're having at the end? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's the end of polite conversation. Right. right there, that's you know? crazy talk. Like, why would you bring up something like, you know, like you just wouldn't have that. And that's the same idea. Mm. You know, if somebody doesn't come at me below the belt, I'm not even going to think about going there with people. Right. You know, whether it's friends, family, doesn't matter what it is. So for me, it was just confusion with the with the response. I'm like, where does this come from? And I think it just reflects in people how they deal with adversity, how they deal with a little bit of conflict. You know, like if somebody comes in and says something to you, how you deal with that is a reflection of who you are because mm. you're not comfortable. So you can't put on a facade. You can't try to button things up. You're feeling some type of way. Your real emotions are coming out in that moment. So um, the way I interpret that is like, okay, there's some imbalances there. Mm. There's some things you need to sort out on your own. 
Yeah, because I mean, just just making it about the clout and stuff instead of just having a real conversation corny. is just it's that's just corny. Not, it, the audience is not going to relate to it. And as men, we should be better than that. I think but that's it has nothing. Listen, man, you know this. It's like you see people with large followings, people with small followings. It's not a reflection of their character. Mm. It's never a reflection of their character. So to bring that up in a conversation with grown men is like, what are you talking about? You're really going to talk. Oh, the only reason you're talking is because you have two million followers. How old are you? Right. That's like something like something here on TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Like, how is a grown man is you're boasting numbers about followers in a conversation about ideas? That's crazy to me. You imagine Jordan Peterson having a conversation with journalists and be like, do you know how many Twitter followers? That sounds stupid. Yeah. Right? So He loses the argument right there as soon as he starts to make it about that. And they would all lose respect for him because they're like, bro, nobody. Do you think that makes you a better person because you have numbers? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the stuff that I don't understand. So uh, for me, it was just like a, a, it was clearly a lapse in judgment on their part. But it's like, where did that come from? More than anything, this is what I think about people. If you act a certain way under duress, under stress, where's that, where's that crazy response of yours coming from? And then you have to do some inner dialogue. Because mm. you know, I don't care how many times I put you in certain scenarios, there's no way you're going to come out with specific responses. Meaning, if I come to you in the street and I say, hey, Adam, you're stupid. You're not going to just start losing your mind and throwing off your pants in the street and doing all that. Because there's something there if you were to have that response, right? You would right. agree. You got some mental imbalance. If someone insults you and you start shitting in your hand, someone's like, is this man imbalanced? That's how I think a lot of people need to think about themselves when they react negatively to confrontation or anything like that. To be fair, I think that they realized that they handled it poorly because they deleted the videos and kind of offered a little bit of an apology. I don't think that, I don't think that's realizing. I think there's a there's there's um there's a I think their fans and the fan reaction probably helped them to realize. Here's what I'm going to say. I don't know what goes on in people's minds. I don't know what's going on in people's hearts. So if someone says something I'm like cool, I can't know for sure whatever. But I would say it's highly just as possible that they saw how bad it was for business and decided mm. to change that up. And again, now we're now still not talking about values and character. Well, now we're still talking about business. Mm. YouTube is not just business. People come on there for real personalities and authenticity. So when you come crooked, people see that and they start to, you know, that's the genesis of this website. This whole platform is all about authentic characters who are making no money but just wanted to do cool stuff. Mm. So when you come on on this phony business, business, business all the time, it's like, and especially when you talk about character and building game, which is something that's innate, that's, that's, that's about your personality, how are you going to teach that to somebody when you're only about numbers? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so I think a lot of people felt like, first off, the first apology was, was stupid. Oh. I apologize to my fans. <laughs> right, right. Like you say someone disrespectful to someone's wife and, and, and them, and you apologize to your fans. So already, in hindsight, that was the first way they came about it. It's kind of like the baby. I don't think he's really sorry about what he said. Oh, no. He's sorry that, you know, he's losing money maybe. And I think those two things are very different. And I think audiences can tell when those two things are different. So, you know, for me, I don't really care that deeply. I'm not going to get involved with them anymore. I don't really want to. But uh, as far as my perception of them, it's like you were trying to be a leader and you really didn't have what it takes. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I feel like they're really new at this and that, I could kind of imagine of myself have gotten into a similar situation in the sense of being disrespectful very early on. So I, I, I hope that they kind of like learn from the experience because I think that like even their fans seem to be pretty much 100% on the same page of like that's not how you go about an argument with somebody that you already ostensibly have a relationship with. You know, uh, 
because you guys could totally still be cool after that video that you guys made and it could have still been really good for content if you guys had just gone back and forth and talked about it and it didn't have to be this sort of life or death i thing, can't right? be cool with people who don't have integrity that's me personally mm. i won't go after you but if you're someone who i think is a reprehensible person i'm not trying to have business relationships with you why would i what am I going to spend my day socializing with somebody who's like a rapist? Like, but, you know what I mean? Like, but, no, no, but, but I, I, and this is some real shit. Like, if you go around sneaking, stealing from people all the time, I'm going to look at you crooked. Like, why would I want you in my circle to someone to conversate with? Why would I put my name beside yours for my fans to be like, because if my fans see me beside you, they think I think you have moral character. Mm. And if I don't, that means I'm recommending you to people when I think you're trash. So my, my whole thing is, I'm not going to go out of my way to fight folks for that. You can be that way, but I'm not going to associate with you. My only problem, and this is my big one, is when you try to lead other people. But I know you it's like, you know, someone's a scam artist and they're stealing from young men. Would you just think it's fine to hang out with those people? No. And that's it. I'm a principled person. I'm not going to look for conflict with people who are doing illegal stuff. It's not my business. But when you want to take up a leadership position, when you want to shape young men, it's time to just say, you're not really about it. Mm. But you didn't feel so negatively about them until they started responding to that video. You weren't so upset about just what happened on the podcast no. in their studio? No. So after I went on the podcast the first time, a lot of time had passed, and people kept sending me stuff in emails, and I never really covered it, right? I started seeing stuff on, on a regular basis about this is what this person's doing behind, they were having the, the, you know, the receipts for it, and I was like, oh, is that how you move? And I was like, okay. I didn't really think much of it. I'm like, none of my, I'm not going to get into it. And um, when that clip came about and we reacted to it, um, we didn't cover that stuff, all the little receipts, because I'm like, you know what? It's not my place to expose folks. Like, if you're doing that shit, fine. But one thing I thought was distasteful was, like, when you get up on a platform and you say, young men, this is why you shouldn't do this. This mm. is why you should never. And, and you're doing it behind closed doors like a Derek Jackson. It starts to rub me the wrong way. Mm. That's why we covered Derek Jackson. We did the exact same thing. Derek Jackson was talking crazy online about how to be a faithful man, all this other stuff. And I always knew he was a phony. Mm. The energy was always off. Come find the receipts and all his mistresses are exposed. I spoke to them personally. <laughs> they called me. And I was like, whoa, that's why I had to cover it. That's the, the hypocrisy of people wanting to be leaders and, and then not practicing what they preach, that needs to be exposed. Mm. So that's the main thing. No, I feel that for sure. Yeah, this has all been a pretty wild thing to watch play out. But, I mean, the wife thing, that really took it to another level, huh? Yeah, and you know what? Preach is going to handle that himself. So I, I say that's, that's, that's between them. I just, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine talking, like, just, yo, listen, you, you on a podcast, you have a, a, a disagreement with someone about ideas. Let's say it's about tricking, mm. right? And, and people want to pay for box. And then someone mentions your kid. Yeah. Are you fucking insane? I, I just couldn't imagine doing that. And people take that stuff lightly. I'm like, you know, online... There's always a bit of distance. We want to keep our loved ones away from it because it's mm. not easy to manage. Right. You know this, right? Like the, 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 the influence that everyone on Twitter and stuff has on your personal life, it's a lot. And so to have that also trickle down to your family, that's why I'm super protective of my family. Right. I don't post them online. They're not on any of my social medias. Nobody ever going to find no pictures of us unless I'm ready to do that. But even then, I really think about putting anybody's face online. Right. Uh, and so when you bring up their names and you just start that kind of thing, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, so it's just I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it. And, and I think everybody knows it's not a right thing to do. So I don't I don't overthink it. I mean, in a way, though, I'm like, you know, in the pickup artist space in general, like one of the things that I've seen from just sort of like observing people's channels and stuff is 
a lot of times it feels like a lot of the guys involved in this space are kind of like just showing off for each other. Do you, know, do you know the emotion you're showing on your face right now? What? It's disgust. When I, re, when I see these, <laughs> not, not them, but like other people, when I've seen people just bragging about how, what their lay count is and shit, I'm like, bro, this is weird to me because if you were a guy who was really concerned with like maximizing how much ass you're getting, you wouldn't be out here making YouTube videos like like saying I've fucked fifteen hundred girls. And even if that's true, like that's cool. Maybe you could somehow still manage getting girls and and also bragging about this absurd amount of girls you slept with. But it just really kind of comes off as like showing off for the dudes and not really actually being good at that. And also, I feel like at some point it needs to be acknowledged that there's it's probably not the best thing for you as a human being to be trying to have sex with women on this like industrial scale where you're like just fucking every fucking girl on earth. Like this is not good for your soul is one thing I would like to just point out. And I say that as a person who has a lot of indiscriminate sex throughout my life and continue to. The, um, the consequences of fucking around all the time don't get talked about enough. Mm. It's very difficult to have purpose in life and to also be gluttonous when it comes to sex. I agree. I had no balance in my life. It was very hard to feel any sense of calmness and peace. You got women coming in and out of your apartment. Right. You're doing it all the time. You're, you're, you're spending like five hours of your day sometimes taking her out to dinner or sleeping with her. And you're like, damn, I didn't put any of that time in my work. Mm. It's hard to have any balance. What about my friends and family? They're starting to take a back burner because the hot girl just hit me up on Instagram. It's like the toll it takes on people never gets talked about. Mm -hmm. So when I see people glorify that, I be telling the people like, do it if you want to do it. But I'm also going to just tell you, it ain't all it's when everyone talks about it, fucking three girls in one day, all that other right. bullshit. It sounds great on paper. Trust me, when you do it, you won't be thinking I'm a fucking champ. And, and if you do, and, and you need to reassess your values. Just to put your dick in different pussies. It's like, it's not that... <laughs> this is not like the greatest thing in the world that you're aspiring to. How, how many times do you raw dog? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, we, I'm going to keep it a buck with you. I'm so happy I came out of the game clean because mm. I know I know, I probably should have had at least something. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, I know people who the first time they fucked around, they got purpose. I'm like, oh, God yeah, damn. Me, me, I know somebody's looking up for me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, now I'm religious, but there's got to be some higher power. Mm. You feel what I'm saying? Because just to come out of it clean, I'm just like, no kids. You know? Think yep. about that. Just having a random sex encounter with somebody and you have a kid with that person. It's like now you're having to raise this child in a confrontational, awkward mm. environment and you're going to have to live with that your whole life. The consequences of fucking around are so high. And so I'm just grateful that I made it out when I did. But what you're talking about with like just every time you're rolling dice, especially when you're hitting it raw, you know, so I just tell people, be careful because sometimes you're going you gonna to catch the wrong one. Like, this is my, my comparison that I like comparison to or compare it to is I very much understand why people would get into bodybuilding. You know, lifting weights is fun. Eating healthy is fun. Trying to get bigger and stronger. It's fun. But then when you get to the extreme end of the spectrum, you have, you know, professional bodybuilders who are shooting huge amounts of testosterone into their ass or taking all these crazy yeah. drugs. They don't do anything in life because they got to eat 18 meals a day, et cetera. And you can see how that all comes from this one desire to, like, you know, get your bench press up a bit. Or, like, you know, you want to get some girls, so you want to get your arms bigger, whatever. And then that, at the extreme end of that spectrum, you have people doing things that are clearly horrible for them based on that initial desire to get bigger and stronger. When I see the extremes of the pickup artist stuff, and, you know, there's a lot of rappers and stuff who are like this too, where, like, they feel like they need to fuck 30 new girls a week to be happy or whatever. It's like, 
bro, it comes from something honest and understandable, which is like everybody wants to be able to feel like if they like a girl that they can walk up to her and have a conversation with her and make that girl like them too. Very basic human desire that a lot of guys are just not familiar with. I remember that there was a time period in my life when I first found that book, The Game, and I read that shit cover to cover, and I was like, wow, that actually just really helped inform me a lot on a lot of what I'm going through, which is just basically having the insecurity of not being able to talk to a girl the way that I want to be able to. But then you end up a professional bodybuilder in the end where if, if you just feel like this is what life is about is just putting your dick as, as many pussies as possible i mean there's just not it's not the end of the fucking road i'm sure you've had sex where you're like why am i here oh yeah all the time every week and then you start to realize there was no purpose to this other than ego yeah ego, ego or you just got some inside that's fucking broken so you, you whether it's the pills whether it's drinking whether it's women you could fill that void with anything temporarily mm. yeah. but it's still gonna be there and it just deepens and it becomes more clear because even those things don't become enough mm. one woman is enough that you have to have three you have to rotation keep cycling them out just avoid whatever fucked up shit you got going on in there mm. you know i don't think game is bad i don't think being comfortable talking to people and women is bad i think it's a good skill mm. But moderation needs to also be encouraged. When I see people promoting opulence of any kind, spend as much money as you can, get as many bitches, pop all the pills. It's like you already know where that destructive stuff goes, even violence. Mm. You know, it's like violence has to be tempered. That's why martial artists need balance. That's why they say don't take violence lightly. Martial artists, the people who are the best at it, mm -hmm. tell you about discipline. How can you call yourself a proud man, an alpha man or whatever, but you lack discipline in life? Mm -hmm. You're just out here fucking left, right and center, fucking up with your bag. Fucking the wrong employees, fucking the wrong bosses, fucking the wrong contractors, because you can't control your dick. How are you going to be successful in life? You're going to fuck up every opportunity. Mm -hmm. You're going to fuck up every single opportunity. Guys who don't know how to control themselves are liabilities. Mm -hmm. And this is not even like on a, just on a business tip. It's also on a personality tip. We all know dudes will do anything for pussy. Do they make for good friends? Mm -hmm. You want a friend who's going to drop you and, and fuck, miss things that are important in your life? Because they want to go bang some broad? Like, what kind of ethics do you have where you're going to take a temporary little small experience over something profound that's happening? But people do it every day. I see guys like that all the time. I'm like, I don't even want you in my circle. I don't want to know you. Mm. So that's why I always find it very cringe when I see dudes who just constantly promote opulence and these fake lifestyles. I'm like, bruv, you're not teaching these young men things that are going to make them content in life. That are going to make them feel connected to people around them. But it'll get you on the hamster wheel of always wanting more and feeling like you need more. And those are good consumers. Those good, are good people good, to buy stuff. Good, great clients. Yeah. The best clients. But that doesn't mean that they shape them to good men. You know, when someone messages me, it's like, yo, Ab, I'm grateful. You made me a better father. Or they're like, yo, preach, I'm grateful. I have a better connection with my partner. That's something we're proudful of. Mm. Because you know what? Fucking 10 women in a week, that's a cool ego bragging experience. Mm. Lifelong building relationships, getting closer to your family, like... Who wouldn't take that over being able to fuck 10 women? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So what we try to foster is like, yes, be comfortable, be confident, understand how to approach ladies. That's great. That's fantastic. But understand it's not everything in life. Right. How many guys do you know who are players and how many of them are truly happy? Right. How many of them go home at the end and find peace in their lives? No, they always need more women. They always got to fuck some whores in some new city. They always got to be on Tinder swiping. All that time you could have put in your purpose. Yeah. All that time you could have given back to the community where you came from and changed their lives. You know what kind of fulfillment that gives to go back to places that you know are fucked up and you can change that, but instead you want to go fuck some bimbo? 
It's crazy to me. So that's why when I see people promoting this stuff and like, this is alpha. No, it's not. Being a leader of men has nothing to do with that. I've served under some of the best people. I've worked under great human beings. Yeah. Great human beings. And you know what they all had in common? They had to lead disciplined lives. Mm. Maybe they had a vice here and there, but they try to temper it as much as possible because it got in the way of their purpose. Mm. So, you know, I, I just think we all have to find that lane for ourselves. And I respect anybody who's hardworking. They do what they do, but have a reason for that. If you're just hardworking so you can go to Vegas and fuck a bunch of hookers, cool. But I'm never going to endorse that life over taking care of your family. Yeah. I just can't. I remember right around the time this podcast started popping off, like 2016 or whatever, it was like I was very much like having this newfound clout. I'm fucking a new girl every night. I'm really feeling like this is supposed to be what makes me happy because, you know, I kind of wanted to be able to do that for a long, long time prior to that. You know, I didn't really like get successful until I'm like 32 or whatever. And uh, I remember then like I got sick and just realizing that like I've got like 20 girls on my phone that I've slept with in the last month and none of them seem like a realistic candidate to come over and take care of me while I'm sick because I didn't have a fucking emotional relationship with any of them because I was just working my ass off and just basically using them for fucking their bodies more or less. And it's just like, I remember that feeling really, feeling really bad and dark and realizing just how lonely I was and how I was trying to cover it up with all of these indiscriminate relationships, you know? Yeah. And when you talk about those guys are like, whatever, man, I need to, I'm like, I'm like, do it. But I just want you to know, if you start to get to that feeling, it's okay to walk away. Because what you described, like, I understand that 100%. Yeah. Because if you are at the point in your life where you walk into a bar and there's all these beautiful women and you don't feel like you can talk to any of them, or if you try to talk to them and they completely reject you, then I understand completely that you're at the point in your life where you need to figure out how to fucking talk to women. And when you're in that part of your life, it feels like, oh, it'd be way better to have sex with 100 women than 10 women. And I get that for sure. For me, I'm at the point where I'm, like, comfortable enough with myself that I feel like if I was single, you know, I meet, I meet women fucking all the time that, like, clearly would just be down to sleep together or never mind to do it for OnlyFans or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'm, I just don't, I don't feel that same extreme urge to prove myself. A lot of it is not partying or drinking anymore. I remember I was in Vegas for the porn awards and I'm sitting on the fucking bus and I'm not drinking. And there's this girl wilding out in front of us on this, on this party bus type thing. You know, she's, she's clearly on Molly or something. She's fucking tweaking, dancing. She's hot, whatever. And I'm just like realizing like if I was six drinks in or if I had been snorting Coke all day, I would be looking at this girl like she's a fucking opportune sex partner. And instead, I'm sitting here looking at her like, oh, this poor girl. Like, she's really wilding out. Like, I, would, I would be so in the wrong if I were to sleep with this girl in this state. But that would have seemed totally fucking normal to me my whole life up to the point where I stopped drinking, you know? Yeah. When you, you know, as you get older, too, and you've done a lot, you just you realize also a lot of it's just not worth it. You're yeah. just like, you already know what the outcome is. So you're just like, ugh. Yeah, you know, it's just ugh, and so that feeling you describe when you see that person wilding out, and you just like, I get that all the time when people are like trying to start something. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm too, I'm, I've done it. I'm, yeah. I'm not interested. This is like, it, I know it's not going to do anything for me. So all these things that people are clamoring for, I'm like, it's not worth the work. Yeah, it was when I was younger because when I was younger, I was like, please touch me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And then if it did, I was like, wow. Nowadays, I'm just, I'd rather just sit at home. 
maybe watch a good show, maybe work on some stuff, have a conversation with the person I live with. You know what I'm saying? Well, your, your business would not be what it is if you had just if you were spending huge amounts of your time. Like when, when I hear people talk about going on multiple dates per day and shit, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm working like probably at least like eight, 10 hours a day. The idea that I'm going to cram the remaining hours with like going out to a bar or like going to a, a, I mean, no. It's yeah. not gonna work. Yeah, and there's a reason why lust is one of part of the seven deadly sins. It's like you understand that that excess is very, very dangerous. Yeah, it is. And how many men has it ruined? Right. How many men have been ruined by the fact that they can't control their dick? Mm. It how happens. Yeah. So many guys. It's the and main some, thing. Sometimes not justified, but still, it's like it's such a risk to just go out there. So I just tell young dudes like, you know, you don't have to be on the streets. I know they promote it. I know everyone says it's the best thing in the world. It's not everything it's copped up to be. And also, guess what? You don't need it to have a functional relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't need it to have a relationship with a good woman. It's not necessary. So I think sometimes people sell everyone on there's one way to do stuff, and it's just not true. It's yeah. not true. So that's the main thing with me in that whole sphere. It's like it's great that people want to learn game. They want to get more comfortable. I endorse that. I've always promoted that. But don't promote gluttony. Yeah. That's it. I feel that for sure. Yeah. I mean, like the extent of like how much happier I am now being in a relationship, having somebody I can rely on, having a fucking baby that I get to watch up, watch grow up every day is just, I mean, it's not even close. Not close. It's not close. It's not close, but it's hard to convince guys who've never been through it because they're just like, I need to do it. They think they really right. believe it's that. And I think it takes more men to be honest about it and to be very candid about the fact that I'm not even just saying it because it's PC or whatever. I'm saying it because I lived it. Right. I've watched my friends live it because they asked me for advice and they went through it. And I'm like, this is what's going to happen. But go do it so you can see. And they all go through the same trajectory. Mm. If they have any kind of character and they want to improve in life, there's no way you can stay doing that and think it's a good idea. And, and the number, like, you think it's hard to find a woman to have sex with? Think about how hard it is to find a woman that you trust and respect enough that you want to put a baby inside her. I mean, I can understand why guys don't necessarily gravitate towards that because if you're having a hard time getting laid in the first place, that's also going to be very difficult. What's life for guys who get the wrong woman pregnant? Oof. Yeah. And that's the rest of their lives. Mm. It's the rest of their lives. I see people who are close to me and how much they suffer. I see it in friends and family. And, and, and the kids suffer. People don't even think about that. How much the kids suffer from that dynamic as well. Oof. So to me, just understand what the stakes are too. It's hard because your dig is hard and the girl's beautiful. She's right in front of you. But understand them stakes. Mm. I'm lucky. I'm fortunate to be here today where I'm at without any of these downsides. But... I'm not going to keep going back in to roll some chips just to find out how it's going to go. Right. It just takes one wrong incident and then you're fucked. The wrong person to come to you and mm -hmm. set you up for a robbery. The wrong person to come to you and set you up with a pregnancy. The wrong person to come up to you and then put a case on you. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like those are all real possibilities. So understand that when you're out there and you're being gluttonous, understand you heighten that every single time you roll that dice. The same way once you once you achieve a certain level of success, Letting random people into your home or, or into your life period becomes a huge concern, huge risk of like, I don't necessarily want, I don't want this person to know where I live because they might send somebody to rob me. I don't want this person to know where I live because who knows what, what they could have in for me. And then once you start looking at the world like that, once you've been wronged a few times, you can start to think like, how insane is it for me to welcome somebody that I barely know into my home and have and do the most intimate thing possible with them and just assume that everything's going to be all right? 
and you don't have cameras in your room, you know, presumably that would be illegal if you did, but like, uh, you know, you don't have surveillance that could prove that your side of the story is right. I mean, you don't want to allow anyone to have that much control over you. So you should be really careful with who you let have that kind of yeah. control. That's on an extreme end. What do you think home represents for you? Escape from all the other shit that I'm doing. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So your home, you can finally be yourself. Yeah. I'm gonna take it on even like a more basic level. You've had experiences where you brought a girl home, y'all slept together, and home isn't home right now because she's beside you. Yeah. How fast do you want to get her out of your place? Hell yeah. Right. Because you you you, you can't be in this space beside this person because you're like I want to escape, but the place I normally escape to, you're fucking inside. Yeah. And so I tell people like your home is supposed to be peace, man. And and, and, and and you and you and you shed that when you bring these random people into your life. So for me, what that's why I tell people like above everything is like I just value the peace in my life. Mm. I, I, I love being at home. I love being at home. People talk about you don't want to travel all the time, Abby, with all this. I don't want to travel. I like being at home. I like seeing the same park bench. Mm. I like seeing the same people. Like I, I fucking love it. I'm tired of being in a hotel room or an Airbnb. So um, I value that, and I just don't want to ruin that for myself at any point. I never want to have to leave that because somebody else I invited came to fuck it up. You ever had a girl go crazy in your place? Oh yeah. A whole scene starts, and and you're just like, damn, it, it just fucks it up for you. So. I just I, I wanna I wanna maintain that peace and uh, that's it. That's real. Anything that uh, we should know about what you got on the way? I think this is a really great conversation. I think a lot of people are gonna get a lot out of this. I hope so. I hope so, man. Um, no, man. Uh, honestly, we're gonna do a world tour at some point. We have announced dates, so just be on the lookout when we we go on tour and we do stand up. But uh, otherwise, just check out I've been preach on on YouTube. For sure, you guys will do stand up. Like you'll tour together and you both do separate stand up we'll routines do separate on the same sets night, and we'll do sets that we'll do together jointly. But uh, but yeah, we, I mean, we already do stand up individually a lot, so. Nice. Yeah. Well, let me know when you're uh, performing in L.A. if yes. that's going to happen, because yeah. we'll definitely come out. Yeah, we'll definitely do a little something. Yo, if you want to try some. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be mad. Yo, y'all want to see that? They'd pay for it. Yeah, I think right. they just want to see you bomb. No. Now you guys. <laughs> I got a couple jokes that I've been working on in my head for like the last 10 years that kind of feel like stand-up routines. There you go. Hey, man, listen, it no all faith. starts with one show, and I think people are very supportive when people are going up for the first time. Yeah. If it's not an open mic. An oh open mic, God. they'll kill you. You're actually making me the same way. You're making me feel the same way I feel when I think about like skydiving. I, I'm afraid of heights, and I did it. You did it. Yeah. My girl went and did it. I stayed home. So scary, bro. I, I pussied out the last second. They're like jump. Um, I remember I fucked, they opened the 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 door for the the small plane, and there's so much wind blowing. I'm like, nah, I pass. But I'm already strapped onto the dude. So they're like jump. And I swear, I was like, nah, I'm good. And they just, I fell out. Wow. And, and there's a video of me just cannonballing because I go in straight up into like fetal position. Because I'm like, you can see it's, it's, it's the most, I'm not good with heights, but I wanted to do it because when I'm scared of something, I just like to just throw myself into it. So sometimes it's good. It's, that's how, you know, and this is the last thing I'll point, say to young men. You know, building character is one of the most important things you guys can do. And the best way to do that is to challenge the things that make you afraid, the things that you're curious about, and to just throw yourself into them. And by doing these things that are uncomfortable, you're going to start to test your values. So um, that was one example where I'm like, I'm terrified of this, and I still did it, so I'm, I'm proud, but I'm never going to do it again. Respect. So, so yeah, that's why Adam's going to do stand-up for the first time when we come into town, so be ready for that. Allegedly. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Hey, man, appreciate you. Much Good conversation. Love. Abba, no jumper. Go sub to his channel. Check us out on YouTube, Patreon. The pages are on the screen. Check us out on uh, everything else, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that bullshit. Like, comment, subscribe. Nojumper.com if you want to support.
Appreciate y'all. Thank you, man. Right. Pleasure. One.